Opinions expressed on ACB Radio are those of the respective program contributors and cannot be assumed to serve as endorsements of products or views of the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the ACB of Oregon 67th Annual Convention. And thank you, ACB Media, for getting us broadcast out there in Cyberland. <laughs> um, I'm Carrie Muth, the president of ACB of Oregon, and we have a great schedule lined up today with some guest speakers and, you know, ending in a chance to win a $200 Visa gift card for those that, you know, pay attention during our little tidbits about ACB of Oregon history. So we'll go ahead and get started today. Um, one of our members is a wonderful singer, and she's we're gonna play a thing of her singing the national anthem. It is um Julia Kulak. Oh say can you see by the dawn's early light one so proudly we at the twilight's last gleaming whose broad stripes and bright stars through the perilous fight for the ramparts we watched were so gallantly streaming and the rocket's red glow, the bombs bursting in air, gave proof through the night that our flag was still there. Oh, say does that star-spangled amazing um, voice from Julia. Uh, Thank you so much, Julia. That was a real privilege to hear. Um, And yes, next, if we could do the Pledge of Allegiance by Abby Trosper. Hi, I'm Abigail, and I'm a junior member of the Southwestern chapter. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America. And to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Thank you, Abby. That was awesome. And um, for those who don't know, Abby is quite enthusiastic, and she is our our door prize uh, princess, and will be helping draw door prizes today. And we look forward to hopefully having an in-person convention in the future that she'll get to be in person so everybody can share in her enthusiasm. Um, next on our agenda is an invocation, and it says um, by Kay Seth, formerly Kay Madeira. Unfortunately, she contacted us this morning and um, is not feeling very well today. So 
we have either Leonard Kokel or Deb Kokel um, will be given our invocation. So if you're there and raise your hand, we can make sure you get unmuted. He's unmuted. I should be unmuted. Yes. Thank you, Leonard. Okay. Our Father in heaven, we're indeed grateful to you for this opportunity to join together at our annual meeting of membership to um, have speakers uh, on this day. And Amen. Thank, thank you very much, Leonard. Um, and, you know, I do want people to know, I mentioned this is our 67th convention. It's actually our second virtual convention. Thank you, COVID. Uh, um, but it has been really exciting um, having so many more people that have been able to join us, some of our greater ACB community and people from all over. So welcome, welcome. Next, I'm going to go ahead and have introduction and recognition of our wonderful fun squad. We decided to give fun names to some of our committees. So the fun squad is our convention committee, and it's been co-chaired this year by Desiree Christian and Tyann Wilmoth. So I'll go ahead and turn it over to the two of you. Hello, I'm Desiree Christian, and where's Tyann? I'm Tyanne Wilmot. Um, and I'm sorry, Carrie, I totally spaced. What am I talking about? Recognition <laughs> 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 and, and intro of the fun squad. So you want to talk about who all um you know participated in the oh, fun yeah. squad this year and maybe maybe a couple brief uh, challenges i know you guys will be giving a report tomorrow in our membership yeah meeting. that's what i'm yeah. going um where are we oh, okay yeah so, um, so most of it is just introduction <laughs> of who all's been on the team and okay. maybe a couple of those fun challenges would be nice oh mm, challenges indeed <laughs> oh yeah um, <laughs> So this year was pretty much the same team as last year, except we had one or two additions. Um, this year, Michael joined us and he did um, a lot of recording for us. Thank you, Michael. Um, this year, instead of me taking care of the goodie bag, it was Cassie and Carrie. Um, challenges indeed. Um we also had Sue and my mom, Teresa Christian, and that's Sue Schwab, um, and Jean Marie Moore. And uh, they, um, Sue did a lot of the writing and programming um, and formatting of programming, which, you know, if you're visually impaired and you're trying to reach sighted audiences is kind of important. Um, Oh, I know I'm missing stuff, Tan. Um, let's see. Uh, uh, Carrie and uh, Jean, who was yeah, in I charge of the uh, auction stuff? That was that, the that team. was kind of yeah yeah that was the team effort. There we we created a sub subcommittee for that. Um, and I believe it was Carrie, Cassie, and. and well, there's, there's one Jean other Marie was and Teresa. Marie and Teresa. Yeah. yeah. Yes. 
So you want to mention yeah. what our biggest challenge of the, of the year that happened in July? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, our an original hotel um, canceled our contract because uh, they were sold. And then we struggled with finding one, A, another place to hold our convention last minute, and B, because we're attempting to go hybrid from here on out to have both virtual and in-person to then find a hotel that could accommodate that. Um, And our original hotel actually kind of couldn't. Um, so that is something that we have to take in consideration from here on out is do we have, um, you know, hotels that, that can handle doing, um, you know, some of our convention virtual as well as in person and not a whole, not all hotels can. Um, so yeah, that, that is something we're going to have to look into, tomorrow when we when we get proposals for places so if you're if you're looking to do that then please in between now and then you know call up your potential hotel and ask do they have the capacity to do that that would be appreciated for us (laughs) committee planners convention committee planners it'd be amazing (laughs) thank you so much and um and I, I will say that Tyann and Desiree are our co-hosts for tonight's after-hour party. Um, after everything today, when we go back to our ACBO Zoom just to socialize, they're going to be tag-teaming and carrying the conversation tonight. So thank you. And I, I just want to say thank you, all of the Fun Squad team and those that helped outside of that also it's a lot of work as many out there know to put on a convention and <laughs> and add challenges to it. So, you know, last night I finally was able to have all of the agenda for tomorrow morning's membership meeting together. So that's how busy it can be sometimes. So <laughs> thank you so much. Um, the next thing on our agenda today is convention attendees by Sue Schwab. Sue? Yeah. Yes. We have a a good attendance again this year and quite a diverse uh, representation across the United States. Um, I am really uh, not surprised, but pleased to see that. We have 72 people registered this year. We have 25 that are from um, non-members from across the United States and 47 that are members. Our representation, of course, Oregon members here is all our chapters, including our new OAABL chapter and four at-large members. Um, But the 25 that come from across the United States, actually three that are Oregon, in Oregon here, but they're non-members. But we have five people registered from California, two from Washington, one from Arizona, two from Texas, one from Wisconsin, two from Michigan, one from Ohio, one from Pennsylvania, one from Alabama, one from Georgia, three from Florida, one from Maryland, and one from Australia. So I think that is amazing. I am uh, very pleased and welcome all you (laughs) non-Oregonians. Okay, that's it. 
Awesome. Awesome. Thank you so much. And, you know, thank you everybody that is, has joined us and um, we look forward to continuing having, you know, such a diverse group of people attend our conventions. So next up, I think we heard her there in the background. We're going to go ahead and pull three door prizes before Abby has to run a little errand. and They'll be vacant for a little bit. Um, so we're going to go ahead and let her pull three door prize numbers. Awesome. And she's not excited so, to do this. Or I am. <laughs> and our first prize that we're going to draw for right now is a mystery goodie bag. So Cassie, is that made up of things from door prizes from last year and this year what what's up with that mystery grab bag so the mystery grab bag is from last year so there isn't there's some of the same stuff that was in the thing from this year but it's one of the bags from last year cool so that'll be fun yeah yeah right come on so we need a number 53. 53. You know what? I just got that document open with the list and now I got to go find the number. 53. <laughs> I could tell you if you want. Oh, that would be great. It's uh, Thomas Damash. Damash Thomas? Thomas yeah. Damash? Yes. Awesome. Oh, from Alabama. Congratulations. Yay, yay, yay. Thank you. Yeah, if you don't mind doing that, Sue, that'd be great letting us know what number. Sure. I can do that. Thank you. That's right, the second one, Abbas. What's the second door prize, Gary? Ooh, and this is going to be. Uh, who? Oh, what 65. Number? Yeah. 65. Wow, that was really close. That's a heavy <laughs> win. Oh, they win from Whole Foundation and Learning Center donated a shirt of your choice. You could have a polo or a t-shirt and two stemless wine glasses. Ooh, that would be good for tonight. All right, one more. So who won that, by the way? That was Tammy Wynn. Oh, nice. Six. 65, right? Yep. Is it the line under it? Yeah. Okay, so number six. Yeah. Number six is Robin Burnham from Klamath Falls. From Klamath Falls. And you know what? You win the 1995 commemorative lighthouse. Um, this is one from a New York lighthouse. And it's not on the list of what uh, lighthouse it is from New York. It was donated by the Southwestern chapter. Yay. Congratulations. Yay. Congratulations. Yay. 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 Thank you. And thank you, Abby, for doing your drawings. And we'll hear you later. Yeah. Have fun getting your new shoes. <laughs> <laughs> All, right. All right. Okay. So I guess now it's time for me to talk some more. I know everybody's going to get Good thing is later, lots of other people get to talk. So, you know, you don't have to get too tired of me. So, you know, this has been a really busy year since our last convention. Um, this has been my second year um, as your president. And, you know, it started off in 2020 thinking, you know, we're going to do all this. You know, I'll, I'll get the opportunity to travel. And then, you know, COVID rocked our world and it changed all of 
us all of this stuff, hence the second virtual convention. Um, and, you know, I've been really, really impressed with ACB nationally, with all the ACB community calls. And, you know, I really feel like there's been a lot that has brought us together more as a blind community, which has been really awesome to watch. And, you know, it's been really awesome in Oregon, too. Um, there has been a lot more involvement, more on the state level instead of just in local chapters. And you know what? Kudos to all of us ACB of Oregon members for that. You know, sometimes we go through life and we're just in our own little space. And being able to do stuff virtually has really opened um, the vault, really, and, and getting to know more of our members throughout the state and other states, because yes, we have members from outside of Oregon, which is awesome. So since our last convention, um, the National Leadership Training and stuff in February, you know, it went all virtual and we actually had 14 participants from Oregon. And that was amazing because, you know, most of the time we've sent, um, you know, three, four members at the most from Oregon. I know sometimes people have gone on their own. We might have had six represent in D.C. So this was a great time, a great chance for members to learn a lot of great stuff. And ACB of Oregon graciously, you know, decided to pay those registration fees. Um, and still came under budget. Yay, I'm sure our treasurer was happy. <laughs> but, you know, those... Um, those 14 people did some great work with the legislative stuff on the national level. And at the same time, all that happened, I had a call from Guide Dogs for the Blind. So I was getting my second Guide Dog, Kaylin, during all of this. So I wasn't able to participate, but it really showed what a great team we have in Oregon. And I know Teresa Christian and James Edwards kind of spearheaded that effort. And they, they met with several of our legislators over the few weeks following those trainings and stuff that was offered by national. And I sat in a couple of them and, you know, our representatives were really open and listened. And it was really great to see our different members talking about the initiatives um, and, and the diversity of where those people were coming from. You know, we had people from Grants Pass talking and people from Portland and people from Coos Bay and Salem. So it was great to have such a diverse group of people and, you know, just that coming together and, you know, talking about that togetherness, um, you know, our together calls that were co-hosted by Teresa Christian and Pat Wallace that started shortly after the pandemic continued um, until our national convention. They were doing two of those a week for a long time. And, you know, that gets pretty exhausting on people. And I know that they had some, we used some of our hosts, Tyann Wilmoth and Alan Wilmoth and Desiree Christian. I think Michael Babcock um, hosted some of those sessions as well with the Zoom piece of it. And I know when the announcements went out that they were going to stop those, there was a lot of sad people in the ACB community because they really looked forward to talking to our people. Um, and, you know, it happened to be one of the rare things that was 7 p.m. Pacific time. So <laughs> a lot of those um, calls 
are done by 7 p.m. our time, which is 10 Eastern. So, you know, I know there was a lot of people sad to see those go, but, you know, it's, it's a hard thing to continue that for such a long time because those were ran for over a year, like about 15 months. And so, but that was a great thing to just keep our community together, our people together. Um, and that, you know, took us to the national convention again, total virtual. And what an awesome, fun national convention. Um, and, you know, I never did find out how many of our members actually attended the, some of the events at national convention. I just know myself, I am super excited that next year, next year's is supposed to be in person in Omaha. Um, I I've met so many people through the community calls and the work on the national level. I'd really like to meet you guys in person. Um, then of course, around that time is, as Desiree mentioned, our, our site for our convention right now was sold and which you know, put us all on extra busyness, trying to scrounge around and figure out what we're doing. And, you know, there's a lot of difference trying to schedule a total virtual convention versus something hybrid, which hybrid was going to be all new to us. Um, But I really think the fun squad came together and did a great job. And that's when our auction got added. So tomorrow um, that will be a, a great thing to do. And sadly, I will not be present. Um, as, as many of you know, I lost my dad on October 5th. He passed away and his memorial is tomorrow at two. So, but you know, one of the greatest things as your guys' president is to know that I have this awesome team behind me that can pick up the reins and do it. And, and they will do a very great job. And I'm really, um, I'm actually planning to listen to the recordings from the auction later because I'm just know you guys are going to be awesome and shine and, you know, just the outpouring of what will be fun hearing people from all over our country bidding and, you know, look, I, I know last night in our after parties room, there was a little bit of gauntlet being thrown down by Hiel in Seattle and Eugene in Florida. So <laughs> you guys will have a lot of fun and, um, Michael Babcock is one of our auctioneers and uh, Dan Spoon himself, Mr. National President will be our, uh, an auctioneer tomorrow afternoon. And we'll have, you'll hear a lot of our team. I know Desiree and Cassie will be doing some of the descriptions and behind the scenes, we're going to be having Jean Marie and um, Sue Schwab and Teresa kind of help track information. And, um, you know, it's just awesome to see, all the the team at work. Another thing that's really happened nicely over this last year is increase in fundraising efforts. As all everybody knows, you know, you have to have funds to throw events together. And even though we're under budget for the year, thanks COVID again, um, for not nothing in person, you know, we still have things we want to accomplish. And you know, sometimes those funds help in the next year. And um, I want to thank Darian Slane Fleming for stepping up and requesting to be the chairperson of the fundraising committee. That's been great. Um, she has a few members, Leonard Kokel, Sue Schwab, myself, and James Edwards that have been meeting. And Teresa Christian volunteered um, 
to do a secrets fundraiser in August for us, which raised us a little bit of money. Uh, Another event, obviously, is the auction tomorrow. And after a while later this morning, Darian and Sue Schwab will be talking about some of the other fundraising efforts and what you can do to help support ACB of Oregon. So again, another great team effort there. And, you know, one of the other things I want to talk about is our chapters. We have seven chapters throughout Oregon. Our newest one is the Oregon Alliance on Aging and Vision Loss, which the plan for them is to continually meet virtually because they have members throughout the state. But you know, most of the other chapters are local chapters and several have been sad not meeting in person. We've all tried doing, you know, virtual meetings, whether it's over a phone conference line or Zoom. And, you know, some of those chapters have have been excited because they've been able to meet back in person. And of course, with that comes growing pains because some people do get used to having that virtual component. And, you know, so those are always challenges depending on location, whether you can offer that or not. But you know, it's nice to see some people being able to get together. But, you know, one of the greatest things that I have seen is the amount of, you know, um, checking in with members and different chapters and just trying to keep things close together. So where, where are we heading? You know, we talked a little bit about the past, which you'll hear more with our ACBO history. Talked about like the present, what's going on. What's coming up in 2022? Well, we don't know, right? (laughs) We're seriously hoping some of our restrictions will be lifted. Uh, I do know that in March, I think it's the 11th through the 15th, I'll report for sure tomorrow on those dates, the National Mid-Year Legislative Training in D.C., they are planning that to be an in-person potential with some hybrid component. And that would be great to attend. I attended my first one in 2020, right before COVID. And as I said earlier, I was not able to attend last year's because of my guide dog, getting my guide dog. But, you know, that's a, a great time. And with that hybrid component gives people great information on how to advocate more for all of us in the blind, visually impaired community. Um, national convention in Omaha, Nebraska in July, July 1st through the 7th. That would be pretty exciting again with that hybrid component. Um, and I really, really hope as a, if I continue as HCBO president, I can't say I'm going to be because tomorrow's elections and somebody might step up and, uh, run against me. (laughs) Um, but you know, whether I am or not the president, I really hope I get the opportunity to attend those in-person events on the national level. And, you know, again, you know, in October, we really hope that we'll be able to do a hybrid type convention. So those of us that feel safe and comfortable traveling somewhere in Oregon will be able to do that. And, you know, our last item of business for our membership meeting tomorrow is always location of the next convention. So it'll be interesting to see what that is. So, so tomorrow, as I said, our elections of officers, which in just a minute, you'll hear uh, the nominations 
report and who's running for those different offices. And I think it'll be pretty exciting to see what transpires with the new board and see what they accomplish over the next couple of years. So next up on our agenda is the first reading of the nominations. If we could get that played, please. My name is James Edwards, immediate past president of the American Council of Blind of Oregon. I'm presenting the slate of officers for this year's elections. For president, Carrie Muth. For first vice president, Leonard Kokel, incumbent, challenged by Tyann Walmouth. Second vice president, John Hamill. Secretary, Cassie Trosper. Treasurer, Sue Swap. That's a list of nominees from the nominating committee for you to vote on for state officers. Thank you to Teresa Christian and Mona Huntley for being part of this process. And thank you, James, for the work that you did on that nominations. The next item is we do have one proposed bylaw change. So we'll go ahead and have the first reading of the proposed bylaw change. Current bylaw, bylaw 9, scheduling annual membership meetings. The membership may, at the October annual meeting, set the date, time, and place of its next annual meeting. Should the membership fail to schedule this event, the executive board shall determine the date, time, and place of the meeting. Proposed bylaw, bylaw 9, scheduling annual membership meetings. Annual membership meetings shall be set biannually. The membership may, at each subsequent October annual meeting, set the time, date, and place of the next two annual meetings. Should the membership fail to schedule these events, the executive board shall determine the date, time, and place of the meetings. And thank you very much for that reading, Deb Cook-Lewis's husband. I think his name was Rick. (laughs) Trying to remember off the top of my head. Life is crazy, guys. (laughs) So we are running a little ahead of our schedule. If you had our program, we said at 9.45, we was going to let Pat Schwab talk about our ACB of history. I know yesterday he kind of had some shortened time, so maybe he'll uh, get some more chance to give us more history today. Are you ready, Pat? I know it's kind of 15 minutes sooner than anticipated. I, I'm, I'm ready. Awesome. Thank you. And, and maybe, maybe Pat, cause I know okay. we probably have a bigger attendance to this, this morning. So if you can just kind of give a brief Yesterday, overview. Uh, ta- talked about, about, uh, um, Different pre- the first pre- president George Holweiler and talked about uh, uh, the us being part of the National Federation of the Blind until we were thrown out or we left. Depends on how you want to uh, want to characterize that. Um, and the, that also talked about uh, us holding the uh, uh, ACB of uh, Oregon's uh, uh, national convention at. Portland uh, Hilton Hotel uh, on July of uh, 1972. So I'm going to talk about uh, 
so some you know who the chapters were as, as we came came together and and so, some some uh, th- things like that you know for so here we go the Oregon Council for the Blind quickly recognized regional chapters in the first couple of years of existence in October 1954 the organization had 34 recognized full members. By 1967, we had 184 regular uh, members uh, statewide. In in that same year, we had had 12 chapters. Uh, This included Columbia, Douglas, Emerald Chapter, Jackson, Multnomah, Pioneer Chapter, Sightsavers Chapter, Southwest Chapter, Washington County, Willamette Chapter, and Yamhill, counting associate members and regular members. uh, By 1970, we had 296 members. By 1992, we had 315 members. And last June 2021, we now have 140 members. Lost uh, some folks. We uh, need need to work on that a little bit. ACB of Oregon uh, list of presidents have been quite impressive. Our first president was George Horweiler, followed by uh, Bob uh, Shower, both uh, of Portland. Eric Grecky, Gerke, yeah, uh, Sue helped me, uh, of uh, Coos Bay. Harold Baxter of Roseburg, Ron Warner of Medford, Dorothy uh, Isaac of Roseburg, uh, Fred Krepela of Salem, Wally Menning of Salem, Harry Lipsitz, Lipsitz uh, of uh, Eugene, Gregory Robinson of Portland, Carol. Duran uh, of Salem, Lauren Harrison uh, of Eugene, Kim Carlson of Salem, Carol Whitney of Portland, John Dashney of Salem, Dina Noriega of Grads Pass, Kay Madeira Seth of uh, Portland, Sharon Boyles of Portland, Bev Rushing of Salem, John Fleming of Portland, Bob Johnson of Salem, James Edwards of Lakeshore, Lakeside. I'm sorry, who now holds the uh, holds the record with with uh, ten years in office, and Carrie uh, Muth of Coos Bay, who is our current president. Charleston. Okay. Now, now, yeah. now, and I'll Indian just editor. say, I hope I don't have to exceed Mr. Over the, Mr. the years, we've conducted a no, number of fundraising activities. The list includes food and candy sales, dances, advertising in the stylus, white cane lapel pins, donations from, from the Lions Clubs, direct mail solicitation, and Braille at Braille alphabet ashtrays. 
we sold those. We even ran, ran a bingo hall in the 90s. where We even owned the bingo hall building, and we had rented out to other nonprofits. So there was uh, some money in that. Early in ACB of Oregon's history, the organization decided to establish a restricted fund with the first bequest left to the Oregon Council for the Blind of Oregon from the E.B. Gerke estate. Bequests and memorials over the years have helped build the, this fund to a significant amount that, that now generates uh, earnings that, that help contribute to the yearly budget uh, significantly. Sue went, went over those when she uh, read the report as to how much money is in the uh, restricted funds. So that, that's the, uh, um, the report that I ha had for, for this, for this uh, window. I, I'm going to re read a little bit uh, from my uh, uh, 1045 uh, uh, se session here. ACB of Oregon has always conducted a very high-level legislative program. We have ha helped other organizations achieve some, some of their pro programs and have all, always been straightforward and honest in our proposals and discussions with the legislators. Legislators have co come to depend on uh, ACB of O and as members for information about the blind community. We work closely with the Oregon Commission for the Blind, but when, when we did, did not agree with the, the commission, we discussed the issue openly and gave, gave reasons. We have worked on Oregon election law as it permit, permitted blind, blind voters, uh, pertain to blind voters. We have passed legislation related Throughout the year, years, we have conducted a number of social events. In January 7th, 1967, the Oregon Council for the Blind held a grand banquet at the Washington Hotel. This was to celebrate Edna Williams' retirement as state librarian. Edna's career started about the time Oregon's Talking Blind Library was formed. Okay. There were about 150 guests present, mostly OCB members. The uh, pro program consisted of outstanding speakers and an excellent banquet. So I'm going to, uh, uh, that's, that's it for, uh, uh, for my uh, my report for this section, um, if there's any questions that uh, yeah, and, and that Pat, we may to, uh, yeah, Pat, we may have a couple forward. questions because you I'm did sure unmute you. fade out a you little mind? bit. Pat, can you hear me? No. Does anybody else hear, okay, so, hear you? So I can hear you. Yeah. So, just fine. Okay. Uh, just about uh, 15 to 10. This is when I was supposed to start. Yeah. But uh, so we're 15 minutes ahead of time. Hey, uh, Pat. No. Can he hear us at all? No, I don't think he can. Hang on a second. I'm going to call Sue. Hello? 
All I got was her voicemail. I tried. Yeah, I think several of us tried. Uh, so how are you all doing this fine morning? <laughs> oh, I had my sound down. Oh. Did anyone hey. ask a can, question? Can you hear us now, Pat? I can. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah, so we probably lost a good minute or two because oh, you kept fading. Oh, okay, yeah. more than that. More, at least like, like five minutes. Probably half the presentation. Yeah. Oh. But so, so, so since we're hey, ahead of time, it works out fine, right? Yeah, yeah I, I, I do you can... want to say that I hope I don't have to, you know, beat James Edwards' record for longest standing president, though. <laughs> oh, yeah. so are you wanting somebody else to run? Is, is that what I'm hearing? Well, as, at some point in the future, I'm kind of happy right now. But, you know, I'm two years <laughs> into this. I can imagine being eight years in and saying, OK, again. <laughs> Uh-oh. That, that 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 means uh, I suppose one of us younger people. Yeah, yeah. Start thinking about it. You know, there'll be more elections. Well, there's some tomorrow. We'll see if if anybody you know, runs I'm, against I'm me. I'm good. So. I'm good. I do not feel <laughs> need to be state president. You don't want to be state president, really? Really? I really don't. <laughs> anyway, we have an opportunity for for um, Mr. Pat here to. Do his presentation, and hopefully some of us hear it this time. What was yeah. the last part that when, we heard? When did it start fading out? Can I just yes. just say it was about when you said it was ten forty-five? You were starting the part that you were going to do it ten forty-five. And excuse me for interrupting. Well, I think perfect. it was before that, actually. Yeah, I think it was. I didn't. I. It was about your fourth or fifth sentence in. You started. I, I spoke very eloquently. Sorry. Oh, <laughs> yeah. well, hey, here's an opportunity to speak eloquently again. So shall, shall I, uh, uh, I'll start with the uh, uh, second paragraph the, that um, uh, on my uh, 945 uh, session here. Shall, yes, shall I redo Perfect. it? Okay. Yes, please. Let me know if I'm, funky we tried <laughs> I, I, keep your volume up <laughs> i'm sorry uh we i've got got my sound up i i turned my sound down so i wouldn't do do a uh an echo so uh -huh. so now i i've got it back up okay and and there's two computers in the room i've got one and sue's got one so uh so let me president's did did you guys hear that? Who the presidents were? Half of yes. it. Yes, you did. Did you hear Half it? Half the sentence faded away. Okay. So, so I'm going to uh, read off the li list of presidents, star starting uh, with uh, with the first president of uh, uh, of the organization. Our first president was George Harweiler, followed by by uh, Bob. Bob started to started to kind of fade out again it did okay so I'm, I'm wondering your head away your... from your mic i i think yeah, i am exactly okay yeah okay let, let me try try this and i'll uh okay so let's see 
we're ta- talking about the uh, the the presidents. Right. Let's see. The third one was uh, Eric Gerke of Coos Bay, Harold Baxter of Roseburg, Ron Warner of Medford, Dorothy Skenzik, S K E N Z I C K of Roseburg, Fred Krepla of Salem, Wally Menning of Salem, Harry Lipset of Eugene, Gregory Robinson of Portland, Carol uh, Duran of Salem, Lauren Harrison of Eugene, Kim Carlson of Salem, Carol Whitney of Portland, John Dashney of Salem, Dina Norega of Grants Pass, Kay Madeira Seth of Portland, Sharon Boyles of Portland, Bev Rushing of Salem, John Fleming of Portland, Bob Johnson of Salem, James Edwards of Lakeside, who holds a record with 10, ten years in office, and Kerry Muth of Coos Bay, our current president. Okay. Over the years, we've conducted a number of fundraising activities. The list includes food and candy sales, dances, advertising in the stylus, white cane lapel pins, donation from the Lions Club, direct mail solicitation, and Braille alphabet ashtrays. We even ran a bingo hall in the 90s. We even owned the bingo hall building. And we rented it to other nonprofits, which gave us a reasonable amount of return on that building. Early in ACB's Oregon history, the organization decided to establish a restricted fund with with a uh, bequest left to the Oregon Council for the Blind of Oregon uh, from from the E.B. Gerke estate. Bequests and memorials over the years have helped build the fund to a significant amount that now generates earnings that help contribute to the yearly budget significantly. And Sue did did name how much that was in her report. Okay. The ACB of Oregon has always conducted a very high-level legislative program. We have helped other organizations achieve some of their programs, and we have always been straightforward and honest in our proposals and discussions with the legislators. The legislators have come to depend on ACBFO and its members for information about the blind community. We worked closely with the Oregon Commission for the Blind when we did not uh, but when we did not agree with the commission, we discussed the issues openly and gave reasons supporting our stand. We have wor- worked on Oregon election law as it pertains to bi- blind voters. We have passed legislation re- related to travel with white canes and guide dogs. We sponsored and passed laws uh, that blind individuals shall shall not be discriminated against in the teaching professions or similar employment. We have fought against legislation that was not in the best interest of the blind community. Uh, 
In, in the 90s, we got Mark, uh, Governor Mark Hatfield to veto a bill that would have required an optometrist to be on the commission board. We felt that it would open a Pandora's box uh, of special interest if one if persons were put on the commission by virtue of their profession. Another instance of our success in fighting against uh, was the inclusion of the Commission for the Blind into the Department of Human Resources. We successfully defeated that. Through the years, we have conducted a number of social events. January 7th, uh, 1967, the Oregon Council for the Blind held a grand banquet at the Washington Hotel. It was to celebrate Edna Williams' retirement as state librarian for, for the blind. Edna's career started about the time Oregon's Talking Book Library was formed. There, there were about 150 guests present, mostly ACB members. The program consisted of outstanding speakers and an excellent banquet. Okay, that's where I left it. Did we hear me better? Totally. Much better. Great. Thank you. I think I was looking to the side while while I was reading. Ah. So, well, and, so, and you were you had us turned down. I we tried to get your attention a couple of times. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I apologize for that. That's but, okay. So so uh I'll uh, turn turn it back to the chair. All right, great, thank you. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and we do have time to entertain one or two questions. If anybody has any questions, and it doesn't have to be about history. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, I would say, uh, yeah. Do we have any hands? I I would say, you know, some of those ways of fundraising still are pretty. Um, similar in some of our chapters, the Southwestern chapter has done, has done candy cells for years, which has been very successful. It's been modified the last few years. And, you know, Leonard Kokel has spearheaded that. And, you know, I know lots of conventions would come and people are like, where's the candy? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, you had a reputation for that. I know. <laughs> wow. Great. Got four hands. Oh, awesome. Woo-hoo. Who's first? I just want to say that George Howweiler is the blind lawyer who helped Oral Hall um, begin the, fa- the what's now called the Hall Foundation and Learning Center. Um, and he was a very prominent, he's going to get the, uh, an award in January from the organization, but it's really pretty exciting to hear his name go by. Awesome. Thank you. And whose hand's next? Darian. Darian. Okay. um, So um, are you going to talk about our work on the School for the Blind issue? And also, we did have some success with the uh, uh, prescription labeling bill in Oregon a couple of years ago. That's that's true, and I and I'm going to. Uh, I've got a, a whole se- session de- dedicated to the school for the blind because we did did do a uh, a whole lot of work on that, and unfortunately they tore it down and put up a parking lot. As Thank the song you. goes, sing that for us. 
(laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Darian. Next. John Hamill. Yes, I was just wondering if there was some more information on on the operation of the Bingo Palace, because that sounded like a, a maybe a good long term fundraiser. It was a good long term fundraiser through through the nineties. That uh, uh, the challenge, as I rem- remember, it was, was that we were struggling with having pe- people manage it you know so so that was one of the reasons that we uh backed out out of out of it and sold the uh sold the building uh but but it was a very very good good revenue source and and uh uh, was in uh uh downtown portland and you know i i think um several chapters also ran bingo sessions for years um you know, I, I, I'm not sure which all chapters had done that, but I, I do uh-huh. know Southwestern chapter stopped theirs around 95, 94, 95, somewhere in that area, area because that's when I moved back to Coos Bay from Portland. And um, my ex-husband and I were going to start running the, the weekly bingo. And then at the time, the Mill Casino was coming into town. And so we decided to close that operation. So I think some of those bingo things were, you know, kind of great things at certain eras in our history. Yes. And the, that, uh, the, the other resources came into, uh, into Oregon for, uh, for people to entertain themselves like, uh, uh, like casinos. And that's one of the reasons that, uh, that, uh, that it, started to fade and so so it was big in the 90s and then it faded kind of quickly yeah thank you um and i think there was one more hand there are two more now but uh the first okay. one was greg greg okay this is greg i'm from waukesha wisconsin hello carrie hello pat hello hey, everyone greg. um anyway my question um is did any of you ever play bingo at that bingo hall, and did they have braille uh, bingo cards? I'm a bingo fan myself, and um, I um, just, I, you know, just am curious about it. Did they have, uh, I'm sure they had braille bingo cards and things like that, but um, I'm just curious if any of you played. Greg, the, that there were a lot of pe- people who were uh, uh, in the uh, uh, blind community that uh, that played regularly at the the bingo uh, uh, parlor that uh, that we had, and we had a uh, very large st- stack of uh, of uh, braille bingo cards. Um, and you know, Greg, I will say at our last um, in person convention in 2019 was in Salem. And we actually, our Friday night event, we did play bingo and, you know, several people did bring some Braille bingo cards and stuff to, to honor kind of that tradition. And it was a lot of fun. Um, so, and I, I also know that at the whole foundation and learning center, when they do a lot of their in-person events that they have Braille bingo cards and do bingo at, at a lot of their events, um, so yeah, fun traditions. So, um, and I think there was one more hand now, or maybe there's more now. The last hand is Sue Schwab. Sue. Yeah. Um, 
to Pat, turn down your volume. Okay. I wanted to contribute one more thing as to why bingo is not as popular as it used to be uh, for nonprofits to run as a fundraiser is because bingo is considered, at least for the uh, mission that the ACB of Oregon has, bingo is considered UBIT. UBIT is unrelated business income and it is taxable to us. So when we filed our taxes, we have our 990 forms, our nonprofit forms with the IRS, we had to show that as additional income that was taxable. Um, and the tax laws have made it more and more difficult to deal with that kind of income. Um, so it is discouraging nonprofits from entering into income generated uh, regularly with the intent to make a profit, not 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 uh, fundraising kind of events, but regular income sources like that. So you will have you would have seen a lot of bingo halls. We weren't the only one in Portland. There were several um, and across the United States, but there are no longer um, bingo halls out there. Very, very few that are run by nonprofits and it's strictly because of tax law. I just wanted to continue contribute that. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Sue's been our great treasurer for a while. So she has a lot of background and, and you're a bookkeeper on top of it. So <laughs> thanks for that. Uh, info. Are there any other hands raised? That's it. That's it for now. All right, great. Hey, and guess what? We're at 10 a.m. I do want to make an announcement. This morning, we were informed that EG, who won the Cranberry Sweets uh, surprise in our door prize drawing, is allergic to cranberries. So I just randomly asked my A-lady friend for a random number and so we are going to replace that for him with a way around sampler pack. And so that cranberry sweets thing is now up again as a door prize. So we'll uh, have that come up later. And we do not currently have our little door prize queen. So we'll be waiting in a little bit before we get more door prizes going. And it's 10 o'clock, which means it is time for an update from the Oregon Commission for the Blind. And I'm going to have Michael Babcock, who is our ACB of Oregon rep on their board of commissioners, do an introduction. Michael. Thank you for that, Carrie. And I'm going to make it short and sweet uh, because I think she will do a great job at explaining what it is the commission does and uh, even her role there. However, I am uh, the commissioner representative for the American Council of the Blind of Oregon, and it is my pleasure today to introduce the executive director of the Oregon Commission for the Blind, uh, Daisha Johnson. Daisha, are you there? I am here. Good morning, everyone. Can you hear me okay? We yeah, sure we can. can. Welcome, Daisha. All Desha. right. Well, first of all, um, thank you, Michael, for that nice introduction. And, and thank you, President Muth, and everyone for allowing me to join you today. Um, I actually want to thank Patrick for the history lesson. That was actually, I didn't catch the full thing, but I logged in on time per my instruction. So I was able to hear the history and um, I've not been here at the commission for all of that history, but much of the last 20 years for sure. So it was a treat to hear that from ACB of Oregon's perspective and your commitment 
to all of the services um, and the impact that you've had on our great state. So thank you for that. So um, as Michael said, I'll give you a little bit of a rundown about who we are as an agency. Um, we are your agency that provides vocational rehabilitation and independent living services for Oregonians who are blind. We are a state agency, but we primarily administer grants through um, what's called the Workforce Innovation and Opportunity Act through the U.S. Department of Education. Um, and as a state agency, we are unique. Michael is one of our boards, a, a member of our board of commissioners. Um, we have a governing body that is made up of seven members that provides policy direction and oversight that are governor appointed and confirmed by the Oregon Senate. Um, what's great about that is the majority of those individuals who serve on the board have to be blind. And so I really feel that the structure of our agency really helps ensure that we're focused on the right things and using our resources uh, provided to us in the way that makes sense, um, that not only is required by our federal funding, but also what's important to Oregonians who are blind. And ACB of Oregon, of course, has a representative on that commission, and Michael has done a great job at not only helping the agency make good decisions, but also um, being a good representative of your community within the ACB of Oregon. This past year, I was thinking about it because I last year um, has been a little bit of a blur, probably for most of us. Um, and this year finds us in a similar place that we were at this time um, in 2020 in a lot of ways. Um, we've been um, just like all of us, I'm sure you as well, navigating the ups and downs and unexpected turns of the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, agency staff, I think, have done a really good job and just continue to work hard at trying to be the best at providing services in these very challenging times. Um, for those of you that have been receiving those services, you probably know we've been delivering services um, largely remotely um, during the last many months. Um, this is a combination of over the phone or by computer. We have um, used um, Zoom like crazy, just like you guys are doing today. Um, but some of our services, such as orientation and mobility, um, low vision assessments, and some type of instructions in the home require in-person services. And so those services are taking place um, with both teachers and clients wearing masks and maintaining social distancing whenever possible. This is um, oftentimes influenced by customers, come, clients' comfort level with, especially for our older blind and independent living program, having strangers in their home. Even though our staff are fully vaccinated, it's still, you know, we're, we're still not fully comfortable, understandingly so, to having folks in our home. So we're only um, doing things as people are feeling comfortable to have us to provide those services. Um, even our commission has been continuing to meet remotely via Zoom during the pandemic. And that I think has worked quite well. Um, and um, that is a, a, just a reminder, a public meeting, folks can join that if you'd like. 
um, but we are able to at least connect on our regular recurring meeting cycle. Uh, and even though our offices are closed to the public, we are um, part of the governor's executive order that has closed our offices. We do have staff working in all of our offices inside. Um, so this just as a reminder, if you need to come into the office um, to get supplies or to do something business oriented, you can call the office and make arrangements to come in um, with the face covering, of course. And again, if services are, can't be delivered via remote, we are making those arrangements for people to um, be able to come in um, and provide those services in person. I'll have to tell you, we've started to see more in-person services in the last several weeks here in our Portland headquarters. This is where our training center, of course, is located. And for those of us in the office, it really is a much needed glimmer of hope that eventually we'll be able to be fully operational again and deliver uh, in-person services to Oregonians who are blind. The current plan, which of course is like everything else in the pandemic, probably subject to change based on public health conditions, but that the agency offices within state government are planning to reopen on January 1st of 2022. Um, so right after the holidays. And since that's a Saturday, that really means our big day would be that Monday, which is January 3rd. I know that this continues to be a challenging time for all of us. Um, and we know that some of our Oregonians who are blind have lost jobs during the pandemic or their jobs have significantly changed. Um, some have been shifted to work remotely, which has posed a different set of challenges and opportunities for them. Um, others have had to put their plans to prepare for employment, their education pursuits on hold while they await improvement in the conditions. For vending facility managers in our business enterprise program, um, when because of a lot of the public buildings being limited operations, they've been hit especially hard. Um, as buildings have been closed and their large part of their customer base has shifted to remote work. For seniors in our older blind independent living program, uh, some of them are just not interested in remote service delivery and they're just not ready to have um, teachers come into their homes. And so we're having to delay some critical services related to independent living until um, folks' comfort level understandably increases. One of the things I wanted to make sure and say today is I wanna thank those that have offered feedback on how services have been going for you during this time. I really am proud of the agency staff and how they've utilized creativity and flexibility to, to try to continue to provide services during this time. But please do continue to let us know how we're doing in delivering services because your feedback is gonna be really important to us as we try to figure out and navigate through this time. I'm also really interested in hearing about what's worked for you in terms of remote service delivery um, that we might wanna continue doing um, even after we opened, you know, some of you have talked to me about how you've appreciated the opportunity to meet with your counselors and teachers virtually. Um, and as we kind of work through the lessons learned and, and try to think about the positive aspects of 
the last many months, we're going to really rely on your input on what has worked for you um, in order for us to make sure that um, we continue to incorporate some of the remote strategies that have been successful and just don't go back to business as usual. I know that you all care about the services we provide. Um, and um, Patrick was talking about the, the commitment that ACB of Oregon has had in your relationships with the legislature. And I cannot um, emphasize how important that is. Um, every two years, the agency goes through a funding process to obtain a two-year budget. Um, and as you can imagine, every dollar counts in terms of making sure that we can serve as many Oregonians who are blind as possible. Uh, and it's hard to imagine, it feels like forever ago, but despite the challenges of the pandemic earlier this year, um, Oregon held their regular legislative session. And in Oregon, in the odd years, they have a long legislative session that includes agency budget appropriations. And then in the even years, they have shorter, very much focused, um, a month long session where they do budget housekeeping and a very small amount of legislative activity that really is just trying to deal with time sensitive issues that can't wait until the longer um, even years, the odd year sessions. So we just finished up a legislative session that determined our budget that started in July of 2021 and will go through June 30th of 2023. Um, and I wanna thank all of you that supported the agency budget throughout the process. Um, you know, you may have heard me say this before, and, and Patrick certainly alluded to it. It is because of citizens like you that the agency has enjoyed stable funding to ensure that we have adequate resources to support the employment and independent needs of Oregonians who are blind. About 80% of our funds come the, from the federal government, but the Oregon legislature has to provide the state dollars that are required to match Oregon has a, a matching commitment that they have to provide for those grants. Um, and um, they also have to give us our permission to spend our federal money. So it really does matter um, when you remind the legislature of the importance of having a strong, well-funded separate agency for Oregonians who are blind. Believe it or not, in a few short months, we're actually going to start the process of developing the agency request budget that will start July 1 of 2023. It's hard to believe it, but we it is going to be here before we know it. And why I'm sharing that with you today is because we go through a um, an intentional process of doing strategic priorities as we're moving into our budget development process. And that work is guided by our commission. And one of the things that's unique about this particular cycle is because we were kind of forced really quickly to move into really emergency operations and just focus on keeping folks healthy and safe, and providing the critical services. We haven't had a real um, robust opportunity during the last couple of years to really focus on strategic priorities. 
Um, so I thought I'd just quickly glance over and talk about um, our strategic priorities that are in our current strategic plan. Because over the next coming months, the commission is really going to guide the agency through a process of deciding, are these are the right priorities for Oregon at this time? Or do we need to update those to reflect, you know, changing and emerging needs for Oregonians who are blind? So our first one is around service equity. And really, this is around making sure that there's statewide access, that services are inclusive, and that people who need our services um, know that we're here and can access the services when we need them. The second one is aging Oregonians and really looking at making sure that all of our citizens that are beyond into retirement have access to independent living services, but also for our workforce, um, our aging workforce, that we make sure that we are there to support uh, the retention of employment, for um, older workers who want to stay employed. The third one is specialized staff. Um, the world of work has evolved and it is becoming more and more co um, competitive to retain, especially um, very specialized teaching staff. So we're really wanting to focus on recruiting and retaining the very specialized staff that we have. The fourth one is a diverse workforce. And this is a combination of our internal workforce to, to OCB, but also being a leader within government and within our communities to make sure that um, the workforce is inclusive of Oregonians who are blind, um, who are members of the communities throughout Oregon. And then the last one is around open and accountable government. This is a combination of really making sure that we're very as effective and efficient at what we do as possible. Um, some things that maybe don't sound important on the surface, but that really make our agency run, making sure that we have information technology that's adequate to meet our needs, but also focusing on um, collaboration and transparency. So over the next few months, we'll be talking through um, and the commission meetings will be focused on what are those priorities that really make sense. And this is kind of at the 100,000 foot level as we kind of look over all of our service delivery. And then once we establish those goalposts and those priorities, then really I uh, and the rest of the leadership team really get to work and try to make sure that as we're trying to recommend budget priorities, um, for our programs that they actually align with where the commission wants us to go um, as an organization. Um, so you all will have an opportunity to have a voice in that process. Certainly Michael will be your voice um, on the commission, but there's also opportunities to provide public input into that process um, to the extent that you're interested in doing that. But at the end of the day, I just want to make sure that I take this time today to um, thank you for everything that you're doing um, for Oregonians who are blind and for each other. I know that you've worked very hard to keep your members connected to your local resources as well as the national resources during this very challenging time. And this is a time in which our worlds, I think, have easily could become very small. And we could um, fall into a trap of feeling alone and isolated from things that were important to us. 
um, and the things that help us belong and find meaning and worth. And I know that the connections and support that you have provided for each other um, must have reminded people that they matter. And at the end of the day, I think it's really important um, that we together work. And I hope that you feel that the services and connections you receive from the agency help reinforce that you matter because um, your contributions to your communities matter. And I hope that the Commission for the Blind um, is there for you to support you in reaching your employment and independent living goals um, to help you continue to thrive in the communities in which you live. Um, and as we move through, hopefully, um, a different chapter in the pandemic and we can start to re-engage in more in-person activities, that we can continue to do that work together. So thank you again for spending a little bit of time and I'm happy to answer questions if your schedule allows. Yeah, thanks, Daisha. This is Carrie, and we just have a couple minutes so we might take one or two questions. I do want to say, first of all, thank you to OCB for the donations for our goodie bags, the sure. boxes and writing guides, that's great. Um, and I know people all over, our, you know, we sent goodie bags. We had 25 registrants outside of Oregon and I've oh, heard nice. several be very happy with the writing guides and stuff. Right. Um, and I do have one question. Can you kind of talk about how, you know, what's been happening with the SWEP program? Cause you know, we're always concerned about the young people and, you know, are they still able to get what they were? And as many people know, the SWEP program traditionally was an on-campus event in Portland or Salem where they'd go to a work site. So can you kind of talk how you guys have done that with the COVID pandemic? Yeah, that's a great question. And um, for the longer answer, our September um, voice, our newsletter, which is available mm -hmm. on our website, has pictures and describe, descriptions of the SWEP 2021. Great. But in essence, we did have some, a lot of SWEP was virtual like everything else, but we did have some um, in-person work experiences that took place in 2021. So we, uh, it was a tough year, the, this year and last year actually, because all of the kids were, kids were predominantly remote for their education experiences. And they're kind of done, right, with this remote stuff. So we did, and staff were very creative at thinking of ways to engage them. Um, so there was some in-person, but a lot of remote, very creative activities. They even did re um, remote yoga together. Oh, awesome. So they did, and there's some pictures in the newsletter about that. So we did our best, and we're hoping Obviously, um, the power of SWEP is largely that in-person interaction, that independent living focus, as you described, Carrie. We're hoping mm -hmm. that next year looks a little different. Hi, Deisha. Hi, Darian. Um, I, uh, I want to thank the commission for sending some referrals my way to my private practice. That's oh. really cool that I've been um, kind of upped in the esteem to get referrals and um i just want to ask given the challenges of covid um what has been able to happen as far as job placement yeah you know that's um that's a good question and i should have that in my head but i think we placed 
and Michael may remember the number, 60 or 61 individuals in the last year, the last federal fiscal year. Um, and the year before, I think it was in the um, 90s, the low 90s. So there was a significant decrease in placements percentage-wise, but people are still getting jobs. Um, so it, it is it is um, a very good labor market. Um, and what we're hoping is that um, job seekers, people will feel more comfortable going back to work, right? We had all of this robust unemployment support at a really critical time, which... Um, has gone away. And I think people are just now feeling like with vaccines and with the health conditions being the way they are, we're hoping that this year folks will be able to take advantage of the good labor market and get some great jobs. Because the um, we're getting a lot of engagement from businesses who are um, interested in hiring qualified job seekers who are blind. So we just have to match that those job seekers with those great businesses. And, and, you know, I would like to chime in a bit, too. I, I'm a vendor with Oregon Commission for the Blind, and I also work for Bay Area Enterprises, who's a vendor that does job development services. And, you know, one of the greatest things about working with OCB is that they really support their vendors that provide job development. They have a couple calls a month um, where... So it's networking. We all get together. We can talk about challenges, what's happening in the labor market, what kind of successes. And they have a great program called Progressive Employment, giving people opportunities to do some job shadowing, informational interviews, and different things that really help make those matches or get people more ready for the job market. And that that has been a big challenge. Um, you know, there are a lot of jobs available, but you know, some people because of health and the pandemic weren't ready to work because of those things. And so, you know, there is a been a kind of upturn recently in um, people with all different disabilities getting jobs and, you know, the, the labor market is changing. So those numbers should be increasing. But I, I really kudos to the Commission for the Blind for everything they continue to try to do during this crazy pandemic. And, um, you know, the support that they offer for their vendors, those relationships, they're all about networking and making those connections. And um, they really foster that. So thank you, Daisha. Yeah. And maybe we could uh, take one more question if there's another raised hands. Other words, we'll move on. Is there any more raised hands? No. no? Okay. Thank you very much. And thank you so much for taking time out on your Saturday, Daisha. No, thank you for the invitation. And I wish you the best for the rest of your um, convention. So thank you all and have a great day. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. So our next thing on our agenda is to hear from the Talking Book and Braille Services Library. And we're going to have Deb Kokel as our rep introduce our speaker. Thank you, Carrie. As the um, Library Council's represented, representative of the American Council of the Blind of Oregon, um, I'm glad to get to introduce Elke. She's worked for the library, um, the, the talking book and Braille library uh, um, for several years throughout the state. And in her new position, she works all over the state um, and she gets really excited when she learns that people sign up 
um, for getting books or learning to use BARD. And with that, I ask you to warmly welcome with me, Elkie Bruton. Yay! Yay. <laughs> Elkie, you must be muted. Oh, I'm no. sorry. The, in, the instructions said that I was to wait to be unmuted. So I, I think oh, I'm on okay. now, right? <laughs> You're <laughs> on now. <laughs> Excellent. Hey, well, you, the, you read the yeah. instructions. Great I job. I did. <laughs> <laughs> Well, well, good morning, and uh, thank you all for having me, and, and uh, thank you, Deb, for that introduction. I, I was kind of listening to you and making little jokes in my head, and when, when you said the part about how I get excited when people sign up, I was like, hey, who told my secrets? <laughs> um, you know, just like everyone, uh, we have had a heck of a year at Talking Books, and um, we have, um, like Daisha was saying, we have been we've been creative, we have persevered, we have, you know, all of the things. And, um, but I want to talk about some highlights and some, um, some exciting things that we have accomplished um, since we last spoke last year. I, I really can't believe it's been a whole year. But um, in Talking Books, we have, we've gone back and forth, uh, just like all state um, agencies where we've been, we were partially in the building again, then we were told last December, we all needed to clear out of the building and um, work from home. We've been trickling back. We've been, you know, kind of coming to a hybrid model of working that I feel is is really working out. Um, uh, just like with all of us, uh, thanks to technology that has provided us that that access to be able to continue providing our services at the at the high level that that we hope to. Um, some of the highlights that we have we have accomplished this year. Um, just just a reminder: last year we had completed switching our circulation model over to the uh, what we call duplication on demand model, where we make a brand new cartridge for every person every day, and um, you know no books are there's never any wait period for any popular title anymore. Everything is available all the time. Um, that was completed by the time we all spoke last year, but I wanted to just report that it is, it is going better than ever. We have a high um, satisfaction rate with um, the way that we're circulating books. A lot of things that used to come up as frustrations for our patrons, you know, of course, we're waiting for things to come out, being put on, on a waiting list, and um, it, 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 we've really alleviated that. Um, two things came into play with that one, like I said, every book's available at all times, but now we no longer have to wait for the physical copy to make it to our library. So as soon as it is finalized from the National Library Service and, and loaded to their database, it's available to us as of midnight that night. So it's cut waiting times for the actual titles to be available by several weeks, which is just, just great news. So for our staff, um, when working with patrons, um, they've said that they, they enjoy saying yes a lot more. They enjoy that, that instead of saying, well, I'll put that on your list and I hope it'll get to you. There's, you know, 20 people ahead of you waiting. Uh, now that interaction is just like, yep, that book's available. It's going to go out on your next cartridge. Oh, I see you're getting a cartridge tomorrow. It's going to be out, you know, on its way in the mail tomorrow. The one thing that has caused all of us some frustration, of course, um, is the slowdown in the mail service. 
Our books do travel as first class mail, but as we've all you know heard throughout the news, first class mail has been tremendously slowed down. That's absolutely caused frustration um, for our patrons and for our staff as well. Um, we have not really found any any um, any good uh, uh, um, measurements to be able to tell people. You know, we used to be pretty good at saying that if you lived up in Portland and we put a book in the mail to you today, you would have it tomorrow. We we are noticing that it really doesn't seem to matter where in the state our mail is going. It can take seven days for a piece of mail to move here in Salem, or it can take two days. It can take two days to send things out to Hermiston, or it might take 10 days. It's, there's really no, no patterns that are emerging. So we just ask, you know, everyone to, to reach out to us. And, and, you know, we certainly want to clear up any, any issues and, and make sure that we're sending enough books um, to help you out. So, so we really appreciate that patience. Um, that's some basic um, day-to-day housekeeping that happens within Talking Books on a, on a bigger scale with the State Library in general. Uh, some of you may have heard that our State Librarian, Jennifer Patterson, resigned back at the end of May um, and went um, to, to uh, pursue some pursuits, pursue pursuits up in, um, up in Seattle where she, where she was located just like with a lot of people, the pandemic really kind of um, brought into focus some priorities, and and um, she had decided that that um, taking an opportunity nearer to her family made a lot more sense for her. So we were really, really sorry to see her go. Um, uh, we had enjoyed the the great work that she was doing with us, the challenge, the way she was challenging us all as as um, as you know, many agencies within the state library, but also as individual staff members. We're still currently on the search for a state librarian. I believe that the initial, um, uh, the initial interview process uh, within the state, they do a, a video, um, kind of like a video um, questionnaire for, for people in, in the um, initial stages. That has been completed, and we're just waiting to find out um, when the, the official interviews will take place. Of course, in the in the past, we would that would be a, an in person interview. All of this will be done virtual now, um, but there will be various um, groups serving as stakeholders uh, within within that that process. So we'll have um, board, community members, uh, state um, 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 people who are higher up within the state staff. And I feel like there is a third component that right at this moment I'm blanking on, but um, we're hoping that we can get some dates for that, that part of the process uh, soon. Uh, we would really love to get someone in, in that position as, you know, obviously as quickly as possible so that we continue um, doing the great work that we do for the state. Um, Daisha had mentioned strategic plans and initiatives. And I thought that I would kind of touch on some of ours. Our strategic plan had been completed at the end of 2019. So it is a work in progress. Some of the things that we're working on for talking books within the plan involve um, increasing our Braille uh, usage, increasing our students' um, um, you know, usage and interaction with the library, increasing our collection by using our, um, utilizing our uh, recording studio that we had set up truly about a month before the pandemic um, hit, 
and um, and um, just just furthering our, our our patron engagement. You know, so so keeping people active within the library. You know, through you know serving them better. You know, finding out what they what they want and what they like, and then lastly, um, assisting people to who are interested in using the Bard self service option, um, assisting and reaching out to make sure that they have the um, the tools and the and the training that they that they need to to be more successful if they choose to self serve through Bard. So, just to back up and give some updates uh, regarding those initiatives, the increasing Braille was really hinging on getting those Braille e readers out to people. Of course, with the pandemic, uh, that was an initiative through the National Library Service. And uh, with the pandemic, that all did get a bit stalled. However, in July, the Utah State Library, who um, provides our, our, our print braille to our patrons, um, actually partnered with us to invite our organ braille readers to um, use uh, to join the pilot program for the Braille e-reader. I believe that they reached out to all of our current Braille readers, which was about 35 uh, patrons. From those 35 patrons, about 10 of them indicated that they were interested in, in trying out the e-reader. And um, Utah is handling all of the, the um, administrative side of that. What they're doing is collecting data on best practices. It's not really the player itself that's still being developed. It's developed. It's more best practices of what kind of support do people need? What kind of, um, you know, if there are repairs or problems with the machine, what does that look like? And um, so they're, they're gathering that kind of data so that they can um, basically um, turn that information into the National Library Service, the NLS, and um, um, and then they will be releasing the the players um, out on a on a nationwide level. So um, we're just you know waiting for that part to end so that we can we can turn around and um, move forward. I am going to put my my mask on very quickly. I'm dropping my dogs off at therapy. I'm so sorry. Um, so. So within the, um, um, so past the BARD part, um, the other part of our strategic plan that I mentioned was recording books. And we were, uh, despite the pandemic, um, we were actually able to connect with a really neat volunteer who happened to have her own recording studio within her house uh, because she does some recordings for Learning Ally already. And um, she was able to help us record our first title completely remotely. And um, that was really exciting. She, um, it was, and all of a sudden I'm going to totally forget what the title is um, because I'm terribly distracted at the moment, but she recorded a full title. Joel, who is our recording uh, coordinator, was able to um, assist with, you know, mixing and editing from, from remote locations. It was, it was really a great uh, example of, of teamwork and, and, like I said, utilizing that technology to accomplish some things. Um, she's now working on another book, her second book of course these go very slowly and only having one volunteer of course means that that we're we're going at an even more glacial pace but we're really hoping that if if things can hold and we are able you know uh, like Daisha said pending uh, public health um, if we are able to reopen 
in January that we can start to recruit some in-house volunteers and really get that recording project going. So um, at this time, I would be happy to answer questions because I feel like I'm just talking on and on and I, I really enjoy interaction and I want to know what you want to know about talking books. Great. Thanks. Do we, so if anybody wanted to raise their hand and we'll see if we have any raised hands. Teresa, you may unmute. Who was that? Teresa Christian. Teresa. Hi. Um, yes. When the pilot project started with the e-readers, there was an email that was sent out and I replied immediately. Um, and got the response that there were enough participants. Um, so I was wondering, when will it be opened up again to more people getting to participate with using the e-readers? You know what, that is, thank you for that question and clarification, because um, that's not something that I had known about, uh, you know, with, with allowing another agency to, well, not, it wasn't our choice, but with having another agency really perform this, this pilot, it really took that admin out of our hands and, and, and um, we haven't really understood, the, you know, it, the, the, the full process. We, when they first reached out, when Utah first reached out, they had spoke about hoping for January being when the pilot would end and the, and the players would be released. But that does tell me that I need to reach out to, to Utah and ask them for some, some more information and find out uh, what that's looking like. So um, if you could, um, I am, I am in my car and I don't have any paper to write anything down, but if you could send us an email or have someone reach out to me or even maybe put a note here in the in the um in the zoom call that I can grab your name I can get that information and get back to you would it would that work sure I can I can contact you on Monday how's that thank thank you so much I really appreciate it yeah no worries thank you for looking into it yes okay thanks Teresa any other hands raised Ad, do we have any hands on the attendee side uh, yes, Jean Marie, I believe, hey, has her Jean hand Marie. up. Jean Marie? Good morning. I've been asked by someone who's listening to this on the radio, Elkie, if you've had uh, reports about cartridge boxes not being picked up from mailboxes in a timely manner, I guess from people's houses. I'm not sure um, Mary Lee isn't available to speak directly, but... Um, are there issues with that that you know about? Because apparently there are the chinos about. <laughs> um, you know, that is something that has always happened from time to time. And there it's it usually requires that person, the person whose mailbox it is to, uh, you know, somehow reach out to that mail carrier, whether they are able to place a note in the mailbox or or call their their local um, um post office directly and ask about, um, you know, what's going on. Um, I can speak to, from, from my experience here in Salem, 
um, if whenever there's something, you know, going on with my mailbox and I use the, the, um, you know, the main community mailbox where, you know, you, you know, it's all in the, you have the key and, and you have to open that up to, to get your mail out. Um, I can get a hold of a person at the post office and have them, you know, just tell them my address and they usually are able to pinpoint whose, whose route that is and reach directly out to that person. It sounds like it could be a situation where, where that specific mail carrier maybe just doesn't understand um, what they are supposed to be, you know, that they're supposed to pick it, pick up the mail. I know that, um, in Salem at the state library for our mail delivery. And like I said, at my, at my own house, there have been a lot of, um, substitute, um, um, carriers throughout the last year. So I I think that, you know, we all have our regular carrier who kind of knows what's going on. And then uh, maybe there's a substitute for whatever reason who doesn't realize, um, you know, the normal policies and procedures. So I would say reach out to the post office and or if it's possible, sometimes just being able to simply put a note in with those items that say, please return these. These need to go back. These are these are for mailing out um, could help. Thank you. Are there any other hands raised? Yes, I believe John Hamill has his hand up. Yeah, John. You cannot. You're still muted, John. John, you should be able to unmute. There we go. Two comments. One on the mail pickup. Um, Blind Skills has uh, found that um, a lot of post offices and letter carriers are unfamiliar with free matter for the blind, which is how the um, uh, talking books are sent. So um, we we deal primarily with the West Salem Post Office and, and do that enough so that they're familiar with this. So yeah, I can easily understand how a mail carrier might not might be suspicious of something that says it's free matter. Okay, and the other thing is, I, right, um, my neighbor records books for a, a different nonprofit and he's got a nice deep voice. Um, would you be interested in ha- having him contact you as a volunteer reader? Yes, he should. He should reach out to um, the the state library. If he reaches out to us um, on our website, we have information for our volunteer coordinator. But if he were to just call our regular number, we can certainly, you know, pass the number along and get him get him connected and find out um, what kind of setup he has at home and um, and see if that's something that we can that we can work with. That would that would be great. Okay, thanks, John. Mm -hmm. And I yeah. think Mona Huntley's name, um, hand is raised. Mm-hmm. Mona? Yeah, just a quick comment. Uh, I'm an extensive uh, barge user, and so are many of the people here in Southern Oregon. And I just wanted to say how wonderful it is to be able to get our books whenever, wherever. So, And on so many different devices. So thank you. That's great to hear. Thank you very much. Were there any other hands raised? I have no on the, no hands on the attendee side. Thank you. All right, great. Thanks so much for joining us today, Elkie. We really appreciate getting the update. And um, yeah, and I'm sure Teresa will be following up with you regarding the pilot program. Thanks so much Run- for your time. Thank you. Have a great conference. Yep, thank you. All right, bye-bye. So, um, so Cassie, are you guys back? 
We are. We made that a really quick trip and came out with two pairs of shoes and a pumpkin smoothie. <laughs> nice. New shoes. Are, are you wearing them, Abby? Abby, come here. No, she got home and got on the iPad. <laughs> oh, well, okay. But we need a couple. We'll, we'll do a couple door prizes. Did you use any of those numbers that we left? Um, no, I never got okay. the email. Um, and and I, I will say, Cassie, you missed my announcement. I did switch EG's gift because he was allergic to cranberries. So I randomly had my A friend um, take something. So he has now D18. So I switched one to 18. That was one of the way around sample awesome. packs. Awesome. So, are we going to do that one now? The cranberry one again? We'll try nope, it again. Nope, that's an 18. So we're on okay, to a cash. Okay. Oh, cash. 30 bucks cash. Pick me, pick me. All right. All this right, was yeah. donated from the Willamette chapter. What number? Number, number. 71. 71. 71. Sue, well, do you have that? One of our, our last registrants, if we're going in order of registration. Sue Schwab, are you here with the names of people? I will find it. Yes, I am. I was trying to find my unmute. I oh, okay, cool. <laughs> 71 is Eugene Balky. Ooh, Ooh Eugene. Eugene. He participated I, with us last night on the after hours party. Yeah, that that's a Florida Eugene. So people better be ready to bid against him tomorrow in our auction because you know he's determined. I think that's his hobby. Now we do have another way around sampler kit. Way around donated five of these sampler kits for our door prizes, and they they donated. Um, Michael, do you know what that's called with all the different ones? A starter pack for our mm -hmm. auction tomorrow. So these way around tags are pretty cool. Great way to label yeah, everything. Yeah. All right, Abby, we need a number. What number? 68. 68. 68. 68. Sandra Sermons. Awesome. Where, where are they from? Sandra is from Maryland. Wow, awesome. That's awesome. Okay, um, let's go ahead and do one more real quick. One more. One more. One more. Okay. One number. Ooh. What number? What number, Addy? 66. 66. Wow, she loves those 60s. I know. 66 is the new Blind Skills Director, Elizabeth Wolf. Awesome. Wow, awesome. And and she just won the ACB Together coffee mug that Jean Marie Moore donated with candy in it um, from last year's national convention. Awesome. Thank you. And we'll be doing more door prizes in it in a little while. Um, right now, we're going to have another little history tidbit with Pat Schwab. I have an announcement at some point. Oh, okay. Well, let's go ahead, Desiree. Go for your announcement. So um, I would like to do a shout out to the um, Clubhouse crew. There's about nine people in the room all listening to us, and none of them are in state. So I don't know that they will get credit for it uh, in terms of the numbers, but I'm giving them credit right now, about nine of, nine of y'all. So hello out Hi. there in Clubhouse land. 
<laughs> Thanks for joining us. See, hey, and there's actually somebody could go get a list of names for thank yous, you know. You ready for and, me? Um, yeah, just a second, Pat. And I would like to say hey to all those me? on ACB Media too. Yes, Pat, we can hear you. Can you hear me? Pat? Okay, Sue, hang on. His, hang his, on. his volume may be down again. I got it up. Okay, cool. Yep. Go ahead, Pat. You're up. Okay, thank you. Um, one of the interesting laws we helped pass was the special permit law that allowed blind hunters to hunt in Oregon. Pat, okay. you need to talk straight okay. into your mic. I. I I was just uh, corrected by my wife also. Okay, thank you. Thanks, Sue. <laughs> yeah. One of the interesting laws that we helped pass was the special permit law that allows blind hunters to hunt in Oregon. Bob and Bab Rushing, my mother and father-in-laws, uh, uh, were uh, representative, representatives for the uh, uh, ACB of Oregon and worked with the Oregon legislature to enable this law, law, Oregon law to pass. Bev obtained the special per, uh, permit hunting license of number three, and, and that's a uh, lifetime time, a membership. Bev did pass this January. Bev, Bev would uh, sometimes hunt by hanging on to the revolver on Bob's hip as they trudged through the brambles. The deer tag was for any kind of deer, gender, horns or no horns, uh, while the season was open. The, this law was pa passed while Bev was president of the ACB of Oregon. The law passed in 1997 uh, and is known as the Designated Shooter Law. It officially allows holders of the special permit to uh, designate a person to shoot, shoot their deer for, for them. The sighted per person did not have to have their own license or tag. The blind hunter did not, not need, need to be, uh, let's see, the blind hunter did not need to be with the designated shooter when they, uh, uh, we're, we're in the area. Many days, Bev would sit by the fire uh, in the camp while Bob slogged through the blackberry bushes looking for, for critters. Bob and Bev always had venison in their freezer. Keep in my, mind the, that we uh, have a, uh, the history co contest is going to be at, uh, at its, uh, 7.15 tonight or you know, right around that time. And we're giving away real money, two hundred dollars. Um, let me uh, continue with uh, with this. This is a uh, longer one. Um, I want to continue to talk about some of the social events that we've held in the past. The this uh, uh, earlier I ta talked about about the retirement dinner that we held for Edna Williams. In March of 1974, uh, the Oregon, Oregon Council for the Blind sponsored a conference where we invited all private and public agencies concerned with, with, uh, with the blind. Uh, included were Bob Pogorelf, the administrator of the Oregon Commission for the Blind, uh, uh, Adele uh, 
Fetched and Mrs. Schmidt, Schmidt Living Re uh, Rehabilitation Center, Winona, Winona Parker, uh, President, and Jeff Brown, past president of the National Federation of the Blind of Oregon, Patricia Swenson and Fran Garvin uh, of radio station PBS, KPBS, several state agencies such as Special Education, State School for the Blind, uh, state, state Rehabilitation Division, as well as various civic clubs such as Lions, Lions Auxiliary, BPOE, that's the Elks. Uh, and and uh, Delta Gamma, Delta Ga Gamma provided the free lunches uh, to all attendees. That that was uh, you know a really great gathering that uh, where where they where they shared information. Purpose of this conference at this point 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 out various programs and activities provided provided for the blind and for for participating organizations an opportunity to see what services other groups were providing it was ho hoped this conference would uh, indicate which services were lacking uh, and point out other services that that might be duplicated and how, how duplication of services might be avoided I was part of the uh, Portland State University delegation with Madge Leslie. Madge was the PSU fa faculty member and former teacher of the uh, uh, Oregon School for the Blind. So uh, we're approaching 11 o'clock. I'm going to uh, uh, stop there. Does anybody have any questions regarding what he just presented on? Any raised hands? Leonard's got his hand up. Okay, Leonard. I hey, and I know Leonard was helping with that hunting thing because yeah, are you gonna talk about that, Leonard? Yeah, I just like to add a little there. <clears throat> um, can you get that, closer to the to the mic? That, yeah. That uh did a really good job. Uh Daryl Beers held license number one, I held license number two, and Bev Bev had number three. We all Four really worked together on that, and it was uh, really prompted by <clears throat> game officers after Daryl and me. Uh, <laughs> we got on it, got that going this year, and and uh, Daryl was appointed to the committee meet with the uh, um, Oregon Commission uh, ODFW, and um, they did. A, but ODFW did not submit anything to the state for the for the law to the legislature, and we found out about it just a couple of days before the time limit run out, <clears throat> and we got it submitted to the speaker, and he accepted it, and uh, so then we had to start working with the the uh, budget committee and senators and stuff, and it was a, it was real interesting time and some of the things that senators thought when they seen uh, that we was wanting uh, hunting assistance for the blind. One of them even said, well, why? that'd be just putting the, the, uh, endorsement. the blind people, which was not the case at all. Anyway, that's all I have to add to that. It was a real interesting time and, and it was a good uh, for our organization. Thank you. And, and I have to admit, I've been one of the privileged few um, because Leonard did that. I have been hunting a few years, but um, 
you know, and I've also reaped the benefits because, you know, that's a great thing that Leonard's enjoyed doing with his sons, which, you know, his youngest son happens to be my youngest son. Go figure people. Um, (laughs) But, uh, you know, his, his boys are great hunters. And, um, you know, our, our youngest son actually got his first bear this year. Um, and they are sighted, but, you know, we've had the privilege of going out and experiencing all of that. And best of all, experiencing it, um, you know, from the enjoyment of the food afterwards. <laughs> so, um, are there any other hands? I don't believe I, so. Not on the attendee side. All right. Great. Thank you. Terry, I and just what? wanted to I, I just wanted to th- thank Leonard for for uh, for adding to to the uh, our understanding of the uh, hunting license in our Oregon and Oregon is pretty uh, unique in terms of uh, pro- providing uh, as uh, the format for for the for hunting and and it's really added to people's enjoyment of go, going and camping and sitting next to next to the fire and uh, share, sharing nifty stories and, you know, just great camping. Yeah, th- thanks. And, you know, I will say that opened up the way originally it was just for um, those of us with sight loss, but, you know, it's opened up the path for people with all disabilities. Several years ago, I met somebody who had the use of one arm. He could not use his legs or his other arm. And, that original legislature opened the door. And so he was able to hunt from his rig, um, which is not typical. So, you know, it did lead into other avenues to benefit more than just the Oregonians who have, who are blind or sight impaired. So, okay. all right, great. Thank you very much. And we'll be hearing more history later. Yeah. I, I, th- I think, yeah. I Go thought Darian had her hand up. Okay. Darian, go ahead. Hey, um, I thought my license, my lifetime hunting license also included fishing. Is that the case? So um, the fishing licenses, they, they stopped several years ago, but if you got it before a certain point, it is grandfathered in. So people more recent to Silos cannot get the lifetime fishing license. Um, so you could check with the Oregon Department of Fish and Wildlife on that, Darian. So, okay, so it is time to move forward. Thank you, everybody. Um, and next up, we have the whole Foundation and Learning Center, and I'm going to turn it over to Jean Marie Moore for introductions. Good morning, everyone. I just would like to say that Wisconsin also has that kind of laws for hunting. Anyway, here's my intro of this wonderful person. Kareth Vance is the director of the whole foundation and has, um, my thumb keys are frozen. This isn't working. (laughs) Um, She has a passion for service and is very interested in, um, very interested in continuing to expand the programs over the next year. And um, my nicely written introduction has been frozen because it's computer land day. Um, Anyway, she has the fun fact I remember about her introduction. Oh, I know. She worked as the patient 
services person at the Lions Foundation for 11 years before she came to us and is a Lions Club member herself and has many, many connections. And um, the fun fact about her is she has 14 cats at home. Take it away, Kareth. Thank you, Jean Marie. I really appreciate it. Does my audio sound okay? You sound great. Thanks. Okay. Thank you. Yes. And so far, none of the 14 cats are doing what they normally do, which is play with the camera and, and walk back and forth on the laptop. So, so far, so good. Um, thank you for letting me join you here today. I'm really excited to be here and share um, the whole foundation and news with you of what we're up to. Um, we have now, um, as an organization, been around for just about 60 years. That's our anniversary year next year. And um, we serve, we focus on adults that have um, blindness or sight loss. And when we first were founded um, 59 years ago, it was through a lady whose name was Oral Hull. And she owned a property in Sandy, Oregon, that was uh, almost 23 acres and she found out that she had cancer and was trying to decide with no children um, what she wanted to do with her estate. And her advisor happened to be a gentleman um, who uh, was, was blind. And in going through all the different options that they may want to do, he suggested that one of the things he would love to see would be a place, a retreat type center, where um, people that had different degrees of sight loss or blindness would be able to come out and relax and enjoy and have different kinds of activities and she really liked that suggestion and so that's where the oral uh, whole foundation for the blind um, was created and we've now updated our name due to some different things that we've added in but that's where our name kind of comes from every now and then someone wonders like well that's an interesting name what where did that come from um over the 10 to 15 years after the foundation was created, the property space that she was on, which originally was just land in her home, um, was added onto with a swimming pool, a dorm that can sleep um, up to 46 people. It has a lodge with a full kitchen and um, space for media and big meetings and events. And it also has a picnic shelter. And then one of my favorite places is a five senses garden. Um, it's a half acre of plants that are maintained by volunteer gardeners um, from around the uh, Multnomah and kind of the area that we're in. They come in and volunteer and they have um, there's bird song and fountains that provide the sound. And then we have plants that either have texture or certain smells or they're edible. Um, there's, so it's just, it's kind of a, or they're very colorful and they're planted in ways that really bring out kind of the, the, the sight aspect of the plants. And it's a great place to walk through and relax and a really popular place for people to visit. And then over the time, um, over the last 25 years, a lot of different activities and, and things were added until you get to what we look like today. And of course, as everyone knows, the last couple of years have been really interesting, but um, 
I'm really excited to be part of the whole foundation as we've been able to reopen and go back to some of our activities and to start to do some new things. So some of the things we offer, um, we have a peer-to-peer -peer support program, uh, which we have a, a group of really amazing people that all have different degrees of sight loss experience. And um, for free, people can call in that are new to sight loss, or maybe they've had sight loss for a while, and all of a sudden they have questions about um, a new app or a technology or a, a new thing that they're trying to figure out how to do something, and or they want to know about a resource in their area. And we have a team of people that will call them and chat with them for whatever time they need and really talk through different um, suggestions and ideas. We also have two gentlemen on the team that are very good with technology. And so if people have questions about, you know, when their phone updates and all of a sudden everything's really messed up or they have a new app that they want to try or they're looking for a particular type of technology, um, these two gentlemen are really good at helping talk them through all of those um, different steps. And um, we also, just so you know, um, family members and caregivers can call in as well. So if you have a question about your parent or a friend of yours who's maybe in a different circumstance, people can call in and ask questions for that too. Um, we offer, um, it really started during the pandemic period when you couldn't meet in person. We have a series of Zoom workshops that we present we try to have at least six every week and they run from um, group chats about specific topics something fun like um you know you're well like pet cats that's always a good topic or it might be something where it's um we have a book chat or maybe it's about a specific um eye uh, situation like macular degeneration or something like that and then we'll have topics that range from um you know, wardrobe to technology to new apps to really any kind of topic. If someone is interested in it, we'll put together a presentation for it. So it's a lot of fun. And we welcome family members and friends to those as well. And we have some uh, of our programming that is um, aimed at involving the family um, and getting them involved. Uh, this last month, we had a lot of fun um, in October because of the White Cane Safety Day. So we had a lot of our presentations somehow involving either um, the use of the white cane or decorating your white cane or being out and about in different ways. Um, we have a monthly newsletter that we send out for free to anyone who's interested. Um, and then the, the fun parts, the parts that we do at the park, which is where we use the legacy that Oral Hole left us, is we have Living with Sight Loss seminars, um, which are two to three day kind of immersive workshop series for um, people that have, uh, that have just like recently had something happen. Um, at our last one, there was someone who had uh, like a, a retinal bleed so kind of very quickly lost sight and so them being brand new to it this was an opportunity to come out with their husband and spend time with um, an orientation and mobility specialist and um, a another person who has a, a really strong background in um, uh, orientation and mobility as well as uh, just life experience and then we give them an opportunity to talk through a lot of those specific topics and magnification and lighting, all of those kinds of, if you're new to sight loss, it's kind of a way of, of 
connecting with you, all of those things that you may be wondering about or don't even realize that are out there to help and kind of helping you um, kind of transition from that initial, you know, this happened, now what kind of phase. And then we have getaways, um, which are usually four to five days long, sometimes three. Um, but people come out from all across the country and they stay um, in our dorms. And um, we have a chef that comes in and cooks. And we'll do all kinds of different crafts or hikes or activities. Sometimes we go to, um, we'll, we'll take a drive to a local museum or we'll go to a winery or do something fun in the local area. But it's really meant to kind of be an opportunity to come together, see old friends, make some new friends, and just really enjoy yourself. And then we have adventure retreats four to five times a year where people come out and stay with us usually for at least five days and sometimes a little bit longer. And then we add in things like kayaking or rock climbing, or um, I've heard that they've gone um, sky jumping before, which terrifies me. I can't even imagine um, jumping out of a plane, but um, whitewater rafting, all kinds of more really active, like day-to-day -day things that we're, we're out and about and doing things. And the great thing about all of these at our location is that everything in the park, everything in our park space and all of our buildings, they're all structured to be um, accessible for people with, um, you know, whether you're, no matter what your degree of sight loss is or blindness, um, we specifically build in um, the structure of the buildings. Uh, railings or ways of making sure that it's, you know, quick and easy exit or entrance. Um, and then all of the activities that are planned and all of the things that we go do are all structured that way as well. So it's, there's no, um, you know, once you get to get to us, then it's just four to five days of relaxation and fun. And the staff is really um, enjoys having people there and and just being able to um, provide you with that sense of relaxation and let's just you you relax have a good time and we're here to to make sure everything goes well um, and then I'm excited to add that this year we've added a team member who's bilingual in English and Spanish and so I'm very excited about this because over the course of the next um, several months and into 2022, we're slowly going to add on um, the idea of having some presentations that are either bilingual or completely in Spanish. Um, we're going to look at translating our newsletter so that we have a Spanish version. And we're going to work up to um, having a seminar series in the park um, where people can come in and the whole seminar series will be presented in Spanish. So I'm really excited to add that new component to our programming. We also have two members who happen to also have hearing loss. So that's been a really interesting um, thing to have on board and, and be able to offer to people too that may be experiencing that or have questions about that. So it's, it's, it's been a really exciting um, journey. We've just recently reopened and um, this coming week, we actually have our annual Monster Mash in the park. So there's skeletons and cobwebs and all kinds of interesting things where we're going up in the different buildings when I left the space on Friday. And I know we're looking forward to some um, interesting food choices on the menu next week. So that should be really fun. 
Um, you know, I there's a lot more I could tell you about, but I actually thought that I would just leave some space here if anyone had any particular questions about things that we do, or I don't know if there's some of you, maybe if you've heard of us and considered coming out, but haven't yet, so. Great. Thanks, Kareth. And I, I would like to say I am one of the site loss instructors and, you know, ACB of Oregon has um, had a great partnership over the years with the whole Foundation and Learning Center. And, you know, it's kind of exciting when I sit there and think about the site loss instructors, that's what we're called. You know, Hayel, who is the new bilingual person you mentioned, she is actually in Seattle and she is... Um, I, I learned of her from Teresa, our own Teresa Christian, um, but they're, you know, they're both on the ACB stuff all the time, Hiel on the ACB calls. And I, I, I know Jean Marie, um, our own Jean Marie is our rep there. E.G. White Swift is actually from Texas and he, he's one of the board members and he is um, registered for our convention. So he actually won a door prize already. Um, Mary Lee Turner has been a longtime ACBO member who's been very involved with Whole Foundation over the years. Um, but we have Marja um, out of uh, Salem. The tech guys you mentioned happen to be our own Michael Babcock and Marty Sobo that <laughs> do a bunch of tech stuff for, our, for us. <laughs> um, Let's see, Hael and Teresa. I think Megan Moore out of um, Bend actually recently joined ACB of Oregon too. So, you know, lots of long time standing relationships there. <laughs> so in other words, we definitely have our fingers in it. Yeah, very good, Desiree. Nice. So, um, yeah, do we have any hands raised to ask any questions? No. No. Okay. Um, I would like to make a comment though. Yeah, um, go ahead, Desiree. So I've been in the Portland area for a good 25 years now. And I first heard about Oral Hall when it was still called Oral Hall on a bus headed um, towards Gresham. And I don't remember who it was, but it was this lovely lady that was sitting there. She told me about it. And it was not impressed and because uh, I'm, I'm young and I had been, you know, out like in the back country and was studying to be um, a guide and advocate for disabled folks in the back country. So I have to say I'm very, very excited with the new direction that Oral Hall has taken in the last year or so. And um, you might might see my I, I might be a convert. Uh, oh, that would be amazing. So, there you go. And, and and I will say it is a great place. I first went to the park around 1989-1990. Um at the time my oldest son was 1 and went swimming in the fountain in the Garden of Enchantment. <laughs> I don't think he was supposed to, but hey, it was a hot day. He was little, why not? <laughs> but it has been really exciting um when i when i was reintroduced to oral whole park a few years back when i um, served on the board as the acbo rep you know it was just exciting to see all the changes and boy how much has changed the last five six years um some great momentum forward you know they actually have guided 
wilderness trail down below that people can go on their own and walk in nature and um, just some excitement. And I really hope I get to come up over this next summer. I'm hoping to spend my 52nd birthday and do something crazy like skydiving. So (laughs) I know I want to meet you in person, Carrie, other than just all our wonderful phone conversations. I know. Looks like you have maybe one question on the panel side and, and I got one on the attendee side. Okay. Okay. Let's go. Let's go on the attendees. Then we'll switch to the panel side. We have Wesley. You should be able to unmute. Yeah, Kara. Hey, Wes. Hey, Kara. How's it going? Anyway, not racking up much questions here. I thought I might little suggest for you something you can do down at the park. It's probably have that blind history lady over. I think she'd be a kick. Oh, that's a. Did you listen in? Did you listen in to her last night, Kara? I didn't, but I've heard all kinds of amazing things about her. Yeah, and our um, our program will be put as podcast so you know it, it's been recorded we'll make sure you get to listen so i awesome. thought that'd be something appropriate to have out there to have her out that'd be cool yeah thanks wes thanks. and the other hand on the panel have, side i've got another one on the attendee okay all right go ahead then we'll do the panelist okay you want to go ahead i got mary mary, mary Otten. you should be able to unmute hi mary Okay, I think I'm muted. You are. Welcome. My question has to do with cost. Obviously, it has to cost you something to put on all these events. Um, So how, what sort of cost is generally associated for folks who come and participate at these various events? That is a great question. Um, So we, it depends on the type of program that you come out for. For things like the 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 more kind of getaways where we stay mostly in the park and it's more crafts and kind of games and internal kind of hanging out with one another, the costs on those are quite a bit less. Um, right now, like for the upcoming Monster Mash event, um, we it was a hundred dollars a person, and that covers the three to four days, a four let's see four days. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and three nights and all the meals and, you know, you don't have to purchase into any of the activities or anything. That's all included. And then for something like the three-day seminar series, those vary a little bit and they can run between, um, you know, we're just kind of reopening those. But from what we have planned for 2022, I imagine the costs are going to run somewhere between two and four hundred dollars. And it depends on Um, the length of the seminar series, and also what the topics are. Because if we are um, doing something like arts, crafts, and hobbies for a three-day seminar and talking specifically about equipment and things that work with those, um, those don't require a specialist presenter as much as the Living with Sight Loss seminars, seminars where we try to bring in someone who does vision assessment, someone who's certified in orientation and mobility, very specific people um, that have um, real skill sets and backgrounds um, to work with the individuals that are there. And then when we have our adventure retreats, um, those can run between um, like four to seven hundred dollars, and the reason for that is um, not so much the um, the park space side of it as it is the fact that we're on the go every day, going kayaking or whitewater rafting, and so it's the 
it's the um, the additional cost is for the places that we're going and the activities we're taking. But the one thing that we do is because we believe that anyone who wants to come to one of these and is able to participate, we want to make sure that they can come out to us. So we have a system of scholarships. Um, Lions Clubs in particular really like to help sponsor somebody or scholarship somebody to join us at the um, at the park space. And so they'll donate money throughout the year that we keep in a restricted fund. And when, when it's time to come out to one of our events and someone's concerned about the cost of it, they fill out a form for us, which is just a little, it's, it's a pretty um, straightforward um, application that asks about, um, you know, your ability, you know, where you are financially. Because a lot of the individuals we work with, um, not all of them, but there's a good chunk of people that, you know, they're, they're on their um, retirement funds. And so they're not going to have four or $500 to spend out. So we have scholarships that we can offer depending on someone's financial circumstance. And then um, there was something else I was going to say about that. Oh, so we also, the last couple of years, as you know, are kind of unique. But outside of that, we also work to get grants. Um, we're always looking for grant funding or for um, sponsors from local businesses like Edward, Edward Jones or something like that for a specific program that we want to do at the site when that helps bring our costs down. So if, if the whole programming would cost us 4,000 and we can get $2,000 worth of sponsorships, then we, we drop that cost down for our participants. But our goal is that if you want to be here, if you want to come out and see us and join us, we want to find a way to get you here. And, and I'd like to add along with that, getting you there, you guys do pick people up. So if you had to fly in or if you traveled by bus or train, you know, you can make arrangements and get a ride from there out to the park. Or even there's a couple pickup places in the Portland area by the in their public transportation, because it is a, a little out of the way for public transportation. Um, so there is always that option to get there, too. And yeah, yeah. And, and the park is available for people to use for other events. So if you're planning like a family reunion or whatever else, it is a, a venue and that the proceeds earned by those traditional venue routes at the facility are used to, to help keep the cost down for us and to, to supply that mission. Okay, I think we had one, one question on the panelist side and we'll take care of that one and then be done. So Teresa, go ahead. Hi, Kareth. Um, so I'm sure it's too late for people to sign up for Monster Mash, but what would be the next one or two events that people Oh, could thank sign you, up Teresa. Um, yeah, so Monster Mash, since it starts on Tuesday, yes, we've got that one kind of all planned out and ready to go. Um, and then um, uh, for the next couple of months, it's mostly going to be activities online, but then we're um, going to start reopening to in-person events back in February. So um, February, the first week of February, we have a, our winter retreat, um, and that is one of the adventure retreats. We usually go snowshoeing or um, different kinds of activities on the nearby um, way of Mount Hood. There's a lot of different places in the area. Sometimes we'll go inner tubing or different things. I actually haven't been yet, so I'm really excited about the winter retreat. 
Um, and then uh, that same month, I think it's either the week after that or the third week of the month, we currently have another living with sight loss um, seminar planned for people that want to come out and get that kind of immersive um, experience. And then in March, we will have our um, spring fling, which is just kind of a fun getaway at the park. So that's kind of more like the Monster Mash where there's themes and fun and crafts and it's more in person. And then pretty much every month after that, um, especially in the summer, we have a lot of the adventure camp. So every month, just about from March on out, there's some kind of retreat or seminar or adventure happening in the park. And if you or someone you know might be interested in that, we actually um, have made a practice this year. Um, in the last few issues of our newsletter, we actually have kind of a calendar section um, and it will list out those events. And then also Michael has been kind enough. Um, he has a calendar on our um, website. And it also has, uh, if you go through the calendar, it has all of our Zooms. And then if we have events coming up, it's on there as well. So if you reach out to us, we can put you on our, our newsletter list. And that way you'll, you'll always know what's coming up. And, and Kareth, maybe you can go ahead and give the phone number, email address, and website. I would love to. So our phone number at the office is 503-668. 6195. And then our, um, our email, our, we have one general email that we've had for many years, and we, I refuse to give it up because it goes back to tradition. And it's um, oralhole at gmail.com. So it's our founder's name, O-R-A-L-H-U-L-L -L at gmail.com. And then our website <laughs> It's funny because they each have a different name, but our website is www, and then you can actually use our founder's name again, .oralhole.org, or if you type in Whole Park for the Blind, that website, it'll come up as well. Both of those will link to our website, so either oralhole.org or, or wholeparkfortheblind.org will take you to our website. Great. And yeah, I have to say, just as a quick, it was so fun to log in and look at the names and go, oh my gosh, it's like it's like a meeting at the office because there's so many people I know right here. Yeah, we have a meeting every Monday morning at 11 a.m. And yeah, you probably see several of us on there. It was fun. <laughs> awesome. Thanks so much for your time, Kareth, and we'll chat on Monday. <laughs> oh, you're welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me, everybody. Yep, thank you. The next thing on our agenda is our fundraising committee. Um, Derry, I mentioned yesterday that Derry and Slate and Fleming um, volunteered to chair the fundraising committee. So I'm going to go ahead and turn it over to her and Sue Schwab and talk about what's happening with the fundraising for ACB of Oregon. Go ahead, Darian. You're unmuted. Okay. So, um, I will just introduce this segment by saying that I have so much appreciated all the hard work and really people on my committee stepping up to the plate, not really my committee, our committee. And those people were Leonard Kokel, uh, James Edwards, Carrie Muth, and Sue Schwab. And I have to say that Deb Kokel was often there and often 
had great input too. Um, so we, in April, at the April board meeting, had um, Michael Irwin from Cars RS talk to us about the vehicle donation program. And we are going, I am going to talk about that in a few, min a few minutes. But we recommended three fundraisers that the board um, is supporting. And they are a Facebook birthday fundraiser, uh, Amazon smile fundraiser, and getting you all involved and helping promote the vehicle donation program. So I'm going to turn it over to Sue Schwab right now to talk about the birthday Facebook birthday fundraiser. Sure. Okay. I, um, the birthday Facebook fundraiser, this is a fundraiser that's focused towards those who are Facebook users. You would need to have a Facebook account established before you could further go into setting up this fundraiser. So why is Facebook doing this? Um, according to the information I found, Facebook started this contribution program as a means to encourage fundraising in general. Um, fundraising declined significantly, significantly when the tax law changed. Um, oh, let's see, it was, um, I think, 2016, when um, the itemized deductions program that everybody, uh, a lot of people were able to take participate in and take advantage of, they significantly increased the standard deduction amount and um, it made it more difficult for people to be able to deduct their charitable contributions and their uh, mortgage interest and property tax and all that kind of stuff that you usually do. Um, so charitable, charitable contributions slacked off at that time. And that's about the time this uh, fundraiser amount kicked, this fundraiser program kicked in. Um, since then, the tax law, uh, as of last year, decided with all the backlash they got from nonprofits that they did put back in a deduction off of your income, um, even if you didn't itemize, even if you weren't able to itemize, you were still able to write off $300 of charitable contributions off your income. So this program is still effective and still would be beneficial. Um, so let's get into it. When you create a birthday fundraiser on Facebook and select ACB of Oregon as your recipient nonprofit, your friends and family will be able to make donations to the ACB of Oregon to help support your fundraiser. And those do donations made ACB of Oregon on Facebook will be paid through a program called Network for Good Donor Advised Fund. Network for Good is a uh, kind of a pass-through entity that was created that many different sites, including Amazon Smile, also use. Um, we have developed a tutorial. This uh, Your um, fundraising committee here have developed a tutorial that should help you go through the steps of setting up this fundraiser. But before you begin, you will need to first have your birthday listed in your profile on Facebook then Facebook will be able to prompt you to set up the fundraiser when it gets close to your birthday, which um, they do that two weeks before your birthday. You will see a message from Facebook in your news feed 
giving you the option to create a fundraiser for your birthday. You can then create the fundraiser for ACB of Oregon as your nonprofit of choice. Your friends will receive a notification inviting them to support the cause in honor of their friend's special day. Your prompt from Facebook will read, um, and uh, it, it is a visual thing, if you will, but I think screen readers should be able to read it. But it's a little box. It has a birthday cake in it. And uh, mine said, Susan, it's almost your birthday. Create a fundraiser to support a cause you care about and we'll take care of the donation processing with no fees. So the tutorial that we developed will help you with the remaining steps to set up the fund from this point on. Also, please feel free to contact any one of us on the fundraising committee if you need assistance. And don't forget, like I said, all these donations are tax deductible. So I'll turn it over to Darian, who's going to talk about Amazon Smile. Okay, can you hear me? Yes. Okay, because I accidentally muted myself a minute ago. <laughs> okay, um, so now I'm going to talk about Amazon Smile. Um, but um, when before I do that, I just want to say that when we do fundraising, we are often kind of reticent about it. And if you can think about what the fundraising, how the fundraising would benefit our community, our, the people we serve, and talk to people about what the American Council of the Blind and the American Council of the Blind of Oregon do to improve the quality of life for people who are low vision and blind and how their contributions really um, help us provide those services. And um, in the vehicle donation program tutorial that I'm going to talk about, um, I have pasted in the mission statement of the American Council of the Blind of Oregon and some of the benefits that people receive from uh, our, our support. So, with Amazon Smile, you either create an Amazon account or if you already have one, then you want to um, log into smile.amazon.com. And um, from there, you will be able to shop for uh, Amazon, excuse me, smile eligible products so you can do all your shopping there um but what you want to do is click on the item that you're interested in and go to the details section and read down below the information about the coupon and other things like that and you will um, see a notification about whether your product is smile eligible and uh, amazon donates a half of one percent of smile eligible products and that doesn't sound like very much on the face of it but 
so many of us are shopping online now and so many of our friends, family members and associates are shopping online now. And so we would encourage you to share this information information and um, ask your uh, friends and family and others to do their shopping through the Amazon Smile platform at uh, smile.amazon.com. Um, the one of the stipulations of the fundraiser is that the purchases must be one-time purchases, not subscription purchases. So. Um, if you were to uh, designate toothpaste, for example, and put it on your list to order, to just automatically order every month, that might look like a subscription purpose, excuse me, subscription purchase. But if you just order it every month manually, that would be a one-time purchase. So, um, I've already, so, um, does anybody like Sue Schwab or anyone have anything to add to the um, Amazon Smile portion of this presentation? Um, actually, this is Carrie, and um, I will say I did it all under the Amazon app on my phone, and it was very simple. I did it prior to placing an order for the goodie bags. So yeah, you guys who have goodie bags, some of that stuff to help support ACB of Oregon. And uh, I was on there yesterday placing another order. Um, it's very easy to use. The app still has that as mine, so I don't have to do anything special once I set it up. It, it stays on there for like, I think it's six months time, and then you renew it um, as that's the charity you want to support. So that's kind of an important thing to remember is that you do need to renew that. But, you know, I half of 1%, you know, I've already raised almost eight bucks for ACB of Oregon. So obviously I shop Amazon. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> um, the only thing I have to add is um, where Darian said that you can find if your purchase is Amazon el uh, smile eligible. Most everything under the smile.amazon.com site is, is smile eligible. Um, a, a, let me, I'll describe again how you can find that statement. Um, when you uh, see the, um, let's see, what, what would be something we would order? Um, the cute little dog vest you want to order for your dog and you, Find one on Amazon that you see you like, so you click on the item and enlarge it uh, on your screen, if that's what you're doing, to uh, read further about it and get more information. Um, usually, it's a picture of the item, and then to the right of it, there is the price, the cost of it. And below the cost, there is usually statements like, you can find this a used item for, you know, it's like $5 less or something like that. 
And it is below that section that then there is a statement that says this Amazon L smile eligible is usually um, just the simple little statement, smile eligible. So that yeah. it's pretty easy to identify whether it is or not. And, and I would say if you're using the Amazon app and using voiceover, as you, you know, you click on, you know, double tap on the item. And when you go through after you hear the price and you keep right swiping, it'll go down through, you know, shipping arrive in so many days, it will say this item is smile eligible on there. So it's really easy to see it on there as well. And I'll, I'll tell you guys, honestly, I think since I, I uh, signed up for this Amazon smiles on my app, I don't think there's a single item that I ordered that was not eligible. So the, the one warning I found was the, you know, sub, subscriptions or not. So, you know, that's an easy solution. If, if you decide you're going to support every time you order something like toothpaste or deodorant or whatever you're ordering, you know, set a calendar reminder, a calendar event. Oh, hey, on this date, I need to go place my essential orders so that I'm able to support ACB of Oregon. We do have a couple of questions if you'd like to take them. Um, I have a couple more things to um, say, and then um, I'm not sure how our time is, Carrie, because we still have the vehicle donation. We wanted to allow time for Q&A, though. Um, I found that if I wanted to know if a product was smile eligible, I could always also type it into the search field. Um, you know, smile eligible products or a certain product and then um, then determine whether it was smile eligible. Um, and again, as Sue said, with the birthday fundraiser, Amazon, uh, we have created a tutorial for how to um, use the Amazon Smile platform and if you have any questions, you can contact the fundraising committee. You know what? The disability access number uh, for Amazon really helped me when I was uh, trying to resolve certain questions I had. And they're always a great um, support if you just need their help to order through smile.amazon. So um, we did provide tutorials. Um, to everyone who got an email program um, when you got your Zoom link and everything, we provided some tutorials and they will be available if you want them again. So should we take a question or two, Carrie? Yeah, I think that would be great. Take a question or two and then do the move on to the vehicle. on the attendee side. Yes. Marja. Marja, go ahead. Marja, I believe you should be able to unmute. Just a quick comment. Um, I Blind Skills has been doing the SMILE program for a while, and I just did a quick look. I love passive donation because the big investment is setting up the donation. I've donated almost $30 to Blind Skills, and we have gotten over $100 in passive donations. And I just, it's a small time investment for what seems like a small return, but so many of us, I, almost everything I shop is on Amazon and it does add up. 
right, Michael on the panelist side. Who on the panelist side? Michael Babcock. Just me. Michael. Hi. Hi. So two things. Number one, I appreciate what Marjo was saying. She kind of actually touched on what I was going to say. If you're curious, you can of how much you've donated, and I'll, I'll give you guys my number here in a second. But if you're curious about how much you've donated uh, using the Smile program, you can go in, hover your mouse with your screen reader commands. Uh, I use JAWS key and that is left bracket directly to the right of the p not to add any confusion that'll hover your mouse over i think you can also press enter but old habits die hard uh so hover your mouse over your name and then you can go down and click on uh i think it says my smile or smile uh and you can see how much you've donated i have passively contributed a whopping 60 cents so it's not a lot but as was stated it can add up very quickly and then the last thing i want to mention is uh the directions that were provided in your email because if you're anything like me you possibly could have lost your emails or not all the documents so the directions that the fundraising committee has provided are now public on the website so you can get access to those at acboforegon.org oh and one last thing with smile you can only support one nonprofit organization at a time. So be aware of that. You can change it, but you cannot support multiple nonprofits at once. It is a one or done. Awesome. And thanks for that. Our awesome website person getting stuff up there quickly. <laughs> he, he's been challenged for our convention here. <laughs> can I add to that that uh, we're going to work with Michael to set up a fundraising page link off of the uh, website that will then have all these tutorials posted and information great mike great minds think alike sue yes. we'll be talking later okay all right and i i think we got, need to go ahead and move on to the vehicle donation part darian okay so you know ever since i have been a member of acb of oregon we've always had a vehicle donation program and sometime and and it's been a pretty lucrative mainstay fundraiser but we've needed to do other fundraisers and as you know especially when we want to do leadership seminars and things like that that really benefit benefit our community, we need to step up our fundraising. And um, so seems like in the early 2000s, some kind of tax law was happening and vehicle donations started to drop. And in just the past few years, um, they've been increasing again. And we've had donations of as low as $32 and as high as $720. And we partner now with a, a company called Cars R Us, and that's spelled with a K, and it's like Toys R Us, so it's cars and then the letter R and S. And we're listed on their website, um, which is donation the number two uh, charity.com and they do not charge us for um, advertising on their website which is really cool um 
So as I said earlier, um, when we are uh, promoting fundraisers for ACB of Oregon, um, you know, please, um, you don't have to sell this stuff. Just help us pass the word along. Share the links for our fundraisers and let people know how their contributions improve the quality of life um, for people who are low vision or blind. So when, um, I'll just tell you a little bit about um, what happens, wh what you tell a donor or what a donor might want to know about, what they have to do to support us. So the donor fills out an online form um, or they can call the 24-hour call center. And the auto vendor contacts the donor and makes arrangements to pick up the vehicle. And then the donor receives uh, a receipt, and that can come by email. And if they don't have email, it can be sent by regular mail. Um, so if a vehicle sells for over $500, the donor receives an IRS tax form, which is a 1098C, and uh, the CARS RS retains uh, 35, a $35 fee. I'm not saying that right. A $35 fee is charged, and they also retain 50% of the net proceeds um, of the, the unit. Um, so you can take action. Uh, unfortunately, our uh, car, we ordered business cards from Cars R Us. Um, that is fortunate, but the unfortunate part is that they didn't arrive in time to come in your goodie bags. So we'll be sending them out to chapter presidents, and we also have them available. So you can contact um, Leonard Coco has the bulk of them. Um, He's at leonard.coco at uh, gmail.com. Um, so you can help. I mean, you can give them to anybody you know and say, as, and if you hear, and I often do, of people whose cars are just like my son has a Jetta that I was thinking, I'm not sure it's long for this world, but um, maybe he could donate that. Um, so hey, Darian. Yeah. Can you spell Kokel for folks who aren't oh, familiar with him? Uh, K-O-K-E-L. Thank you. All right. So, you know, also you can take these business cards to towing companies, uh, car dealerships, um, uh, auto parts stores you know a lot of times like an auto parts store or a towing company or maybe even in uh, places like oh i'm thinking of um uh 
lathes or auto repair shops. You know, if the vehicle is not going to be something they want to invest further money in and they want to donate it, they, these places could be educated to tell them about us. So, um, I just um, want to say that the vehicle donation program is alive and well, and you could help us spread the word about it. And um, I'm just happy to report that our donations are increasing again. And does anybody from, oh, and again, there is a tutorial that will be available. Does anybody from the committee have anything to add? I can add that in 2020, we received $1,855 from vehicle donation. And year to date this year, so far, we've received $1,047.50. And Sue, mm -hmm. how do you think people are hearing about it? Because just imagine if some of us just told one auto repair shop or something, how much that might increase our returns. Um, how are people hearing about it? Well, obviously, we haven't been pushing it. I don't right. think they're hearing about it from us. So it. I think it's just random people looking on the Cars or Us site, and they display all the charities that they support. And people are probably going, oh, I, I want to support the blind. So we'll do ACB of Oregon. And they're not necessarily people from this state either. Yeah, I, I was going to say that this is a nationwide program. So, you know, those in Maryland or Florida or Texas, you know, you're welcome to, you know, put it out to your friends. And, you know, the other big thing to remember is, you know, a lot of times if you have an older car and somebody's going to trade it in for something, you know, a lot of places are not giving much trade-in value on a vehicle. So sometimes that donation on your tax return look is is higher than what you're going to get in a trade-in value. So, yeah. Yeah, so the car can sell for more than what uh, a trade-in value is. It's an option that these uh, cars are being sold through. Yeah, exactly. So um, we're running a, a little behind schedule. So I want to thank um, Darian and Sue for g giving everybody ways to help support ACB of Oregon and, you know, watch for more movement from the fundraising committee and other ways. And, and obviously the auction tomorrow is a great fundraiser to be involved in. <laughs> and I just want to say our committee was called Fun money because I wanted us to view fundraising as fun. And I think that kind of spawned all the fun committees that we're all having fun <laughs> with. And so thank you, everybody. Thank you. And I yeah, we, to, uh, yeah, Leonard. I, I need to, I, my email is actually leonardkokel at gmail.com. No, no period between Leonard and Kokel. And Leonard is L-E-O-N-A-R-D. K-O-K-E-L, gmail.com. Thank, thank you for that clarification. So, and thank you, thank you, Darian and Sue. Um, so we're a little behind. We're going to give uh, Pat a few minutes here to um, do a little history. Um, and noon, we are replaying last year's interviews with board members. Um, 
during that lunch time so we get a chance to get lunch. <laughs> Those of us on this panelist side. So, um, Pat, if you want to go ahead and give us a few minutes of history. Sure. That um, the last time I talked about about a conference that we had had in uh, March of 1974, or where we brought brought a whole bunch of uh, uh, state organizations and private organizations together to talk about uh, services to the uh, to the blind community. Uh, so, continuing with that, in March of uh, that was in March. And in December of 1974, OCB uh, hosted a reception for the newly elected uh, Vern Duncan, Superintendent of Public Instruction. Pre present was approximately 35 people, including Bob Pogorels, Administrator of the Oregon Commission for the Blind, Don Edwards, Superintendent of the Oregon School, School for the Blind, Bill Peck, Superintendent of the Oregon School for the Deaf, Winona Parker, President, and Jeff Brown, past president of the National Federation of the Blind uh, of Oregon. George, uh, let's see, uh, Schuller, uh, Schuller uh, president of the uh, Oregon, Oregon Association of the De Deaf, and many OCB members. Uh, some as far away as Eugene. This gathering was primarily a social event uh, to uh, meet Vern Duncan and his wife Donna. In the 90s, the OCB helped create and staff uh, an adult summer camp for blind individuals. Uh, this was more of a Lions Club project uh, because non-OCB members uh, also attended. It was primarily OCB uh, who worked with, with the Lions to make the camp on the upper McKinsey River a success. Many of our members often attended, and there was always a majority of OCB members uh, at these uh, summer out outings, which lasted from one to two weeks. Some of the favorite activities at the camp were fishing, pitching horseshoes, eating, I, I should say that several times, eating, uh, <laughs> skits and plays, uh, hiking, uh, out, outside entertainment, and for most, uh, most of the activities, uh, there, there were a lot more activities, but in a lot of cases, the main activity was just playing uh, loafing. Uh, OCB usually provided summer camp, camp management ran, who ran the entertainment uh, and programs. Sid Lofstrom from Multnomah County was usually the supervisor. Leonard uh, Sturer uh, did, did it when uh, Sid was unavailable uh, to be present. This camp was sponsored by the Eugene Lions Club and assisted uh, by the uh, uh, funding from the uh, Lions South Site Foundation. So I'm going to leave leave the uh, uh, that do, the history right right there there for the moment. Uh, do we have any questions? So so Pat, I do just want to clarify when you're saying OCB there, that was before our switch to American Council of Blind of Oregon when we used to be Oregon Council of the Blind. Correct. That's correct. That's correct. Yeah. 
it, it, and that is definitely different than our state agency of OCB, the Oregon Commission for the Blind. So, exactly. Thank you. All they right. stole it from us. <laughs> well, and, and we and we stepped aside and changed our name so that they could keep the OCB acronym. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So, do we have hands raised? Nope. Nope. None right now. I will say it is a couple minutes after 12, so we probably should go move along. Um, so during our this next hour, we're going to be replaying interviews that Desiree Christian did last year of the board members. And I will say, um, I know that includes our previous secretary, Bobby Earp. Um, and as you guys have heard, Cassie Trosper is our interim secretary. So you'll get to hear Bobby's voice on the recording during this next hour. And everybody be back here at one. We're, we'll uh, start right at one o'clock and with some door prizes, and then we'll go into more of ACBO history. So we can win some money this evening. Have a great lunch, everybody. <laughs>